Hello, friends. I am Kent Lapp, and welcome to this episode of the KLP, where we give you long-form, in-person conversations that explore and inform. Today, I'm excited to give you my conversation with Andy Schoonover. After graduating with a BS in commerce from the McIntyre School at the University of Virginia, Andy started his career at Host Marriott Corporation in the Treasury Asset Management and Acquisition and Development Groups and completed transactions valued at approximately $1.5 billion. He then moved to Silicon Valley to attend Stanford Business School, where he got that entrepreneurial itch. As his friends headed off to Google, Facebook, and other high-flying tech companies after graduation, Andy and Chris Hendrickson his business school roommate, founded Blue Canyon Capital, which was formed in September of 2006. Blue Canyon Capital then purchased Valued Relationships, Inc., VRI, in Dayton, Ohio. Andy became CEO and served in that role for five years. After a fourfold growth in revenues, the majority of VRI, VRI was sold to Pamlica Capital in 2014. VRI investors received a gross return of approximately nine times their investment. That's right, nine times. Today, Andy lives in Austin, Texas with his wife, Stephanie, where they are devoted to parents, where they can't talk, where they are devoted parents to their daughter, Grace's legacy, younger daughter, Ava, and their pup, Butler. Spoiler alert, I believe Andy is the first person we've had on this podcast that has sold their company for over $100 million. And he's definitely the only guy I've had on this podcast who actually rented the real Mark Zuckerberg, that house they were partying and creating Facebook in, as you may recall from the movie The Social Network. But first, before I give you my conversation, would you like to be part of our book club in the month of January? It is totally free, and you can get in on this from anywhere in the world. We are going to be reading the book, Our Good Crisis, Overcoming Moral Chaos with the Beatitudes, by Jonathan K. Dodson. And even better, the author himself, Jonathan K. Dodson, which, by the way, he's a profound, insightful, and culturally aware pastor, speaker, and author, will be joining us live in our discussion to review this book around the end of January or maybe early February. If you enjoy reading good discussions and meeting other interesting people, this is for you. Registration is only open until Friday, January the 8th, 2021. So if you're hearing this before then, go now to kentlap.com forward slash KLP book club to learn more or sign up now. That's kentlap.com forward slash KLP book club. And by the way, while you're on the website, browse around a bit. Let me know what you think. We just redid the entire thing. Definitely an upgrade over the old blog style site. Hope you like it. And now, a word from our sponsor. This episode is brought to you by Sister India. Check them out at sisterindia.org. And here's what you need to know in 60 seconds. In the last year more than ever, many of us are deeply yearning to make a positive impact where we can and bring light to a dark world. If that's your heart, I'd like to share Sister India's story with you. India is the most dangerous nation in the world for women and girls. Severe poverty and illiteracy make them vulnerable to trafficking and forced labor, while customary practices encourage child marriage, sexual assault, and female infanticide. Sister India changes these vulnerable women and girls' lives and teaches families to value girls as precious image bearers. Its program's outcomes are life-changing. Last year, average household incomes among participants increased 60% and families began preventing trafficking, child labor, and child marriages. Each gift of $25 creates generational change for a woman, learner, and her daughters. 
and strengthens communities that love and uplift girls as the beautiful gifts they are. Also, your gift is matched to multiply your impact through the end of the year. Learn more about our story and outcomes and join in giving at sisterindia.org. Sisterindia.org, folks. Go donate to their important cause now and let them know you heard about them on the KLP. And now I give you my conversation with Andy Schoonover. Please enjoy. Yeah, welcome to the podcast, Andy. Thanks for having me. Yeah, thanks for being on. So you're our first guest this, uh, this week in our humble little airbnb podcast studio here love it <laughs> love it my 10 year old son's doing his virtual schoolwork on the other side of that wall over there and these guys are sitting on the couch making it all happen so this is great i'm really looking forward to your uh, conversation with you great again and, thanks and for having me here. appreciate it yeah certainly so i'd love to hear a little bit more about you who you are and kind of what you do i know you've been into quite a lot of things yeah well, let's kind of give people the a uh, little bit of an overview yeah i guess overview is um you know midwest kid grew up in st louis um Moved to D.C. when I was in second grade. My my dad is a uh, government consultant, worked for the State Department, building embassies all over the country, or oh, over wow. the world, excuse me. So that was kind of fun. So moved to, to, uh, to, to D.C. Um, middle class family, um, one of five kids, grew up Catholic. Um, okay. So I can, can talk about that faith journey a little bit, too. Yeah. Um, went to UVA undergrad, um, did uh, finance there graduated did some a few years in uh real estate real estate investing and then moved out to california went to stanford for for business school this was 2004 so fun story there is i don't know if you've seen the uh the movie the social network i have yeah yeah there's a there's a subplot in the social network about uh uh mark zuckerberg having to go and find 16 or eighteen thousand dollars to move his buddies from boston to Silicon Valley because you have to pay rent for this house. Yes. And so between first year and second year of business school at Stanford, we rented our house out to Mark Zuckerberg and all of his buddies. And so that was actually our no house. No way. Yeah, it was, it's hilarious. Your house is in who? You you and your family's house? Or no, no. Your, the, your house? Me, and, me and my buddies at business school uh, rented this house um, while we were out there. And uh, so we all spread all over the country to do our internships for the summer. And okay. Zuckerberg... Moved his buddies in that summer, and so that was the house that no was in that kidding. movie. So it was kind of a, a fun, um, I don't know. That's very cool. Did you have some like correspondence with Zuckerberg? I met him a couple times. Yeah, really? I met him a couple times. And the really funny story about that is when we got back from uh, from our internships, there were um, receipts um, for the Ritz Carlton in New York from Mark Zuckerberg. Right. And so I just in the house or in the house. Yeah. I was in the trash can. And so, um, and there was, there was, you know, Facebook business plans all over the place. And so you got to remember this was 2005 Yeah, where I think there was six or seven schools. You have to, you had to have a dot edu email address to be a part of Facebook. Right. And so me and my roommates were like, what is this? Like, what is this Facebook company? Like, this is strange. Right. And so I, I actually, in my business school class, was a guy who um, was a part of Excel Ventures. Okay. They did the, one of the first, I think the first institutional round in Facebook. And so I brought in this uh, receipt from Mark Zuckerberg, Ritz-Carlton. I was like, can you believe that you know they're spending your money on the Ritz-Carlton in New York? And he kind of looked at me. He's like, dude, 
it's going to be okay. Like really? he, he knew. Really? Like, that he early knew, on, he, he knew, knew was Facebook was going to be huge. Yeah. Wow. What and did so, you think of it at the time? Oh, I mean, we just thought it was just this little silly company. Really? You know? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we had in business school, we had our own version of the Facebook, right? Okay. And, you know, and I forget exactly what it was called, but we just didn't think much of it. I mean, okay. how big can it get if you have to have a .edu email address? Yep. Right? Not knowing. That was just the first step in their, their scaling of, of Facebook, right? Yeah. And so... We make the joke nowadays, it's like the dumbest financial decision of our entire life was not taking equity in Facebook as opposed to that, I forget what it was, sixteen or $18,000. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, you should have spotted them some free rent. Exactly. You know, exchange for exactly. Equity. So, yeah. you know, a bunch of, of classmates went and did Facebook right after business school and, you know, ended up being the chief revenue officer and head of human resources and things like that of Facebook when it went public. And so they did, they did okay. I'd wow. Say. I'm they sure did they okay. did. Um, now was your house, the house that was getting trashed and all yeah. the parties were in yeah, yeah, and yeah. everything like that in yeah. the movie. Yeah. And I, and, I, and I think that the, the movie, you know, probably exaggerated that a little sure. bit, but we did come back and the, the landlord was like, uh, the guys that you rented this to were interesting characters. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, <laughs> Yeah, wow, it's a funny, fun, fun little story that you only can get while you know being in Silicon Valley in two thousand four, five, six, which is one of those crazy periods of time. Right? Yeah, Google was taking off, Facebook was starting. Yeah. Um, Do you have thoughts on Zuckerberg stealing that idea? What are your thoughts on that? If you if you were had a little bit more of a front row seat to that period of time. Yeah, I mean, I wish I I, I knew more than than I I do. I no real thoughts. I mean, okay. it's, it's one of those, it's, you know, I think the guys who he quote unquote stole it from got paid off pretty, pretty yeah, handsomely. They're fine too. Um, I think yeah. they're okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. you know, and, and he was able to execute, yeah. you know, it's one of those things, right? It's an idea is one thing. The execution is another. That's, um, oh man. And isn't how many, how truth? many people do you, yep. you hear nowadays? You're like, man, I've got this great idea. And it's like, man, that's a great idea. Now let's go and execute it. Mm-hmm. You know, execution is, is 95%. Of, is that what you of think? Value creation. I mean, I think so. Yeah, for sure. I wouldn't disagree. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, hey, so, and not to interrupt, but yeah. hey, Jonathan, not doesn't need to be now, but if uh, if for the next few minutes we could find a book around this house or something, this mic is really low. It'd be great <laughs> to bring it up a little higher. Thank you. All right, so let's pick that story back up there. Yeah. So we we um, we came back um, from from business school or from our internship, and you know, second year business school, you're trying to figure out what you're going to do with the rest of your life, right? Um, you, you had fun in the first year. The second year is just like, okay, what am I going to go now do now that I've paid one hundred and fifty thousand dollars to be at this school for the yep. last two years, right? Um, and while a bunch of, of my buddies were doing the Google and the Facebook thing, tech was taking off, uh, my roommate and I decided we wanted to do something a little bit different. Um, you know, w- walk down the, the, the road untraveled a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we went out and did what is called a search fund. Um, and a search fund is when you go out to a bunch of, of investors and say, hey, give me a little bit of money to find a company to buy. Mm. Um, so we raised, I think it was $600,000. Um, and that was going was straight out of school, straight out of school. Okay. So you're how old at this point? Uh, 28. You're 28. Okay. At the time. And this is in when? Oh, five. This is oh, six. Oh, six. Yep. Okay. Thanks. Man. Yep. Um, so we raised $600,000. We went out and, uh, moved to, uh, to Chicago from Silicon Valley. Mm. Um, buddy was from Chicago. Um, my family, like I said, is from St. Louis. I had, uh, four grandparents still alive. They were in the eighties at the time. I wanted to be close to them. You just never know, you know, how much time you have with your grandparents right. and, and they meant a lot to me. So I wanted to be close to them. So we moved to Chicago, um, to find a company. 
um, ended up finding a company uh, in Dayton, Ohio, of all places. Never thought I'd be going from Silicon Valley to Chicago to Dayton, Ohio. Right. Um, <laughs> Keeping it classy. In and Dayton. then exactly. And then, you know, go Flyers, I guess, is, yeah. the, is the team there. Um, and so, yeah, mo- moved to Dayton, Ohio. First had to raise the money to buy the company. So we okay. went back to our investors and said, hey, I need seven million bucks to, to uh, buy this company. Um, bought that company, uh, moved to Dayton, um, ran that for about seven years and, uh, sold it to a private equity firm for well over a hundred million. So wow. it was, uh, just a, an incredible run, um, for, for those seven years. Man, so, no kidding. Yeah. Was that VRI? That was VRI. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. VRI. So when you had, when you identified this company you wanted to buy in Dayton, you had investors at this point basically just believed in you guys. Yeah. You and your you partners? Know, sure. You know, it's, it's one of those things where um, Chris and I, Chris Hendrickson was my business partner, had very complimentary skills. Mm-hmm. I was the external guy. He was the internal guy. He was operations. Mm-hmm. I was sales. Mm-hmm. Um, so we had a complimentary skill set with a really great company. And so, you know, we, we say we just um, we jumped on a really fast horse and just switched out jockeys, you know, and, and that's okay. basically what we were doing, right? Okay. We, we bought it from the founder of the company mm. um, and we just, you know, ran a really, really good horse really fast yep. for, for six or seven years. So yeah, um, it was a really, really, really good time. You know, and I would say that, you know, one of the things that made us successful is it was a, um, a service that we were super passionate about, mm-hmm. you know, is and I fall on and I can't get up button, which I'm, I don't know if you've seen the, the internet commercials um, or commercials at all. It's, it's a button for old people so that if they fall in their home, they can press it. I and have get seen help. a commercial yeah. like that. Yeah. yeah. That was you guys. So it wasn't us, but we were a competitor of, of theirs. Okay. Um, and so that's how we event initially found that company. It was, you know, I think it was a, a late night at the bars in Chicago, came home, was watching TV, saw this silly commercial. I was like, man, that is silly, you know? Um, yeah. And then he started thinking about it. I was like, wow, you know, this is a this is a service that, that the elderly need, yes. you know, because many of them live alone or want to live alone. Um, and so again, my my grandparents having an influence on my house, or my, my life, excuse me, was one of those reasons I was like, man, yeah, grandma and grandpa should have this, right? Hmm. Um, and the aging population is growing. Mm-hmm. Um, is a recurring revenue business, so you're paying thirty to forty bucks a month. Um, so great business model, and so let's go take a look at it. So mm-hmm. reached out to about ten companies that were doing this, and and found one in in Dayton, Ohio. So, oh, okay, you saw this commercial before you yeah. knew about VRI. Before you, I see, yeah, that yeah. was sort of the the spark to get that, you into this particular yeah. industry. Yeah, were you thinking when you guys were out looking for companies? Were you looking for companies in healthcare space in particular, or no? That was one of them. That okay. was one of them. I mean, I think we wanted to find a company that would impact people directly. Okay. Yep. Um, you know, that's that's where our heart was. Is how how can we get pumped about a company? You don't work your tail off. For a company, unless you really care about mm-hmm. the mission of the company, at least that's that was for us. Mm-hmm. And so we just wanted to find something that we were mission aligned. And this is one where, man, if we could help the elderly, you know, live in their homes longer, yep. um, man, what a great mission that would that would be. Yeah. So absolutely. Yes, yeah, so we got into that company, and it started off as just a press of a button, um, and we were like, hey, we're we're taking our average customer was eighty two years old who had two or three comorbidities, which means two or three other conditions that were needed medical assistance. So they had diabetes or hypertension or congestive heart failure. And so what happens if we take that little device and start monitoring the your blood pressure or monitoring your blood sugars Ooh. out of the home? 
right? And so is this before Fitbits and Apple Watches and all that Fitbits stuff? Before Fitbits and Apple Watches, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. So then we started monitoring all of those things out of your home so that we could actually tell your health plan or your Medicaid agency or whoever it may be how well you're doing better mm-hmm. than just I they fell, right? Sure. Let's get to them before they fall. Um, and so that's where we saw a lot of growth is monitoring other pieces of information out of the home other than just the reactive fall. Okay. If you fall and you go to the hospital, it's 14, 20 grand like that. Really? Right. And so what happens if we can keep you out of the hospital? Right. Right. That, that's where the cost savings are. Yep. Um, so that's what we got into and, and that took off and, and so sold the company in, in 2014. Wow. Congratulations. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. Praise and- God. Yeah, for sure. Praise God. Um, well, yeah. Let's. I want to hear a little bit more about VRI, but let's keep, keep, kind of keep going through the overview. Yeah. Uh, so that's 2014. And by the way, at what point in here uh, did you meet your wife, and where does your family tie into all of this? Yeah, yeah. So met my wife in in Ohio. Um, oh, because of moving there from VRI. All from moving there from VRI. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Met her in in Ohio. Um, I mean, the funny story about that is we met on Match.com. <laughs> there it is. It's public. <laughs> I'll, you know, I'll and, say this: You might be surprised how many people have been on this podcast that that secretly were like that mentioned that they've met on online. And this was 2010. This well, was 2010. That, I have to feel like it was a lot less popular in 2010. It was a lot less popular, yeah. and there were for sure was this stigma to to uh, meeting people online in 2010. I it. Yeah. Do you think that stigma still exists, or do no, you think I mean, it's going I think away? So. I think it's going away. I think pretty it's quickly. going away. Yeah. I think yep. you hear it all the time now, right? Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, back, back back in 2000, and we actually, you know, I, I hate to say this, um, but we lied to our family for like the f- last, or for the first seven or eight years of our relationship. Like we were, we were kind of like telling them a kind of story. We met at a restaurant and <laughs> we, you know, so it wasn't like a After you both agreed lie. to come to this restaurant right, at the exactly. same time. We just, kinda, we just happened to meet at a restaurant. <laughs> um, and so it wasn't blatant. It was just not the whole story. And so finally we, uh, we finally told them and they're so like, it was, what? Yeah. So yeah. it was that particular or that peculiar at that time oh, yeah. to meet online that you did not convey that to your family. Yeah, totally. Wow. Totally. <laughs> so not even even some of our friends didn't even know until a few years ago. Wow. I mean you're married, we have you know kids now. It's like yeah. who cares? You exactly. know, at this point, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> what was it about um her profile that caught your eye? Oh, you know, it's it's a funny story. Man, we're here we go. We're getting into the details. Funny story is since I was running the company, we had, I don't know, maybe a hundred employees at the time. I did not have my picture up, which is like a no, no of yeah, online I would dating. Think. Right? Yeah. And so she was with her. It's a no, no on Twitter, let alone oh, yeah. online no, no, dating. Right. <laughs> um, so I didn't have my picture up because I didn't want you know my employees seeing it and that's being spread around. Like I was really embarrassed about being on, on, you know, match.com clearly. Um, and so we didn't have a picture. And so I emailed her and it must have been a really great or a messenger via match. And it must have been a great, you know, uh, message because she was on her way back from Fourth of July weekend at, in the Outer Banks, which is where you go if you're from Ohio to go to the beach, the Outer Banks, North Carolina. Um, and she was on the last day of her free subscription to match.com. And so she was just rolling through these things. And, um, I had done a mission trip in Africa. She had done a mission trip in Africa. I mentioned that. She had mentioned it in her profile. I said, hey, it's really cool. We've both done mission trips in Africa. And Africa is one of my you know, loves. And I just feel one with God when I'm in Africa. Right? It's just one of those things. And it was so compelling to her that she's like, hey, 
you don't have a profile picture up. Like you got to send me pictures. Like, yeah. you know, here's my, my Gmail account. Uh, send me pictures and you know, I might respond. Right. So I sent her pictures and she responded. Well, that's um, good. <laughs> I had hair back then. So, you know, my, if, if, uh, the audience gets one thing taken away and I tell this to my, my nephews, I was like, Hey, you got to lock it down before you lose your hair. I mean, just, that's one yes, of the things just right? lock it down before you lose your hair. So, <laughs> Oh, that look uh, right there is pretty good. Yeah, hey, it's it all right. I, Absolutely. I, I, I've been blessed with an okay head. You too. I mean, yeah. we, we're, 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 we're doing the same style. Do you exactly. have a lot more hair than I do? Yeah. <laughs> So, so 2010, you met her then? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then when did you guys get married? Uh, we got married in 2016. Okay. Okay. And did you guys both grow up in church? What am I saying? We did not get married in 2016. We got married in 2014. Okay. Okay. Wow. Well, was, I was starting to do was, the math of six was, years. I'm like, hey, you guys, you guys dated for quite was, a while. Can you edit Even that 20, out? Can no. somebody edit that out? So my we wife can. We can once again. <laughs> For the sake of his wife. Um, Don't ask my anniversary actual date because <laughs> I'm not. No, no. Yeah. Uh, so dating this entire time, you guys were dating? Yeah, you were dating. Living, you were living yeah. and dating. Did the, did the uh, you know, dating broke up, dating broke up. Oh, you did? Kind of thing. Oh, yeah. Four, oh, okay. four times she took me back. No way. Um, yeah, and, and you know, they kind of... Go, Flows in my faith journey. I was not a believer at the time. Okay. Um, I, like I said, I grew up Catholic. I kind of did the follow the rules Catholicism. Didn't really, couldn't really say that I believed in 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 Jesus and Him dying for my sins. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it was through Steph that I became truly a believer. She was going to a, a great church in Cincinnati called Crossroads. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, um, came came to know Jesus and got got baptized when I was thirty three. So a little bit late. Okay. Um, to being to being baptized, and then we got married when I was thirty four. So okay, um, yeah, that's kind of the, the yeah. whole story. There's how, how old are you now? I'm forty one. Forty one. Yeah. Okay. Yep. All right. So um, VRI mm-hmm. two thousand fourteen mm-hmm. sold it. Mm-hmm. Coincidentally, that's the year you got married. Yes. What a year for you! It was My a great goodness. year. How yeah. does that feel to sell a company for a hundred million dollars, <laughs> or over a hundred million dollars? Uh, you know, I think it's it's something in our just being male is the hunt is actually way more fun than the capture. Hmm. Right. And I don't know if it goes back to our, you know, early days hunting lions or whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. But that hunt is just so much fun. And then it happens. And then you're kind of like, Oh, all right. You know, and I, and I wish Mm. I could, you know, say that it was like when the money hit the bank, you're like, you know, but it, it was at that point that you're like, wow, that's over. That part okay. of my life is over, yep. you know, and it's like, what do I do now? And so I will tell you that, like, after selling the company and we can kind of get into my, you know, having my daughter and things like that. It was mm-hmm. a hard time. Like you mm-hmm. come away from that being like, OK, what what is my purpose in life now that mm-hmm. you've run so hard for a pretty decent amount of time, six and a half years? And now you're like, what? now yeah you know what yep. now and you try to fill your time up with stuff mm. right and that's where you kind of get a little bit get a little bit lost mm. um so do you sell for cash or equity yeah. and whoever purchased you cash okay yeah so you had some decent obviously you had a partner and you had investors mm-hmm. but still you had a decent amount of money hitting your account yeah yeah congratulations yeah. man oh the, thanks yeah yeah i mean it, it, it i would say the the be, the best part of that is it just allows you to step back and say okay i don't have to go do something that i really don't want to do mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> right now i yeah. can go do and, and be you know pretty picky about what i what i want to do mm-hmm. um and so that that actually happened in 20, 2014 it was negative 12 degrees the day we sold the company 
you know, it was a, uh, a, a polar vortex is what they call it in the Midwest. It's like all of this, you know, cold air comes down from Canada and just sits over the Midwest and it's miserable. Like it's, you know, you could throw the water off the, the balcony and snow by the time it hits the ground. It's awful. And so my wife and I were like, you know, this is, it was the day that we realized that God did not intend people to live in Ohio in winter. I'm sorry. For I totally agree. I just said this the like, other day to Andrew. It's incredible. Like, this is this is stupid. Why are we doing this? So we were like, okay, we're just going to head south, you know? <laughs> um, and, and I thought I was going to do something entrepreneurial again. And so Austin seemed like a, a really good place to, to, to land. And we thought we were going to enjoy, you know, breakfast tacos and, you know, hippies and live music. And I'm an outdoors guy, so I love fishing. Okay. Um, and so we were thought we were going to do that. And my wife got, I you know, joke, maybe we had a little bit too much fun because my wife got pregnant right away. Okay. Um, and so with your first child, with our first, yeah. okay. After you moved to Austin. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And you move in 2014 already. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Moved in 2014. She got pregnant in, uh, I'm, I'm going to screw up the dates, but, um, we found, we, we had our 12, so she must've got pregnant in like August. Okay. Um, and then we had our 20 week ultrasound and found out that our daughter had a fatal condition. Mm. So you walk in and, you know, doctor says, Hey, you know, not viable with life. Um, you know, terminate and try again. And so, you know, we're looking at this 20 week ultrasound. You have, you have kids clearly mentioned that earlier. And it's 20 week ultrasound is, you know, you get, you can see 10 fingers and 10 mm-hmm. toes and she was, you know, moving her mouth and she was twirling around. And, and, uh, so we were like, you know, this, that's just, that looks like a human being to us, mm-hmm. you know, and kind of our, our faith, we were like, Hey, you know, we're going to give her, her life and in, in whatever way God intends that life to look. And so, um, doctor said, okay, probably going to die in utero. If she makes it to the birth canal, going to die in the birth canal. If she makes it out of the birth canal, she's going to take a breath or two and pass away. Well, grace is her name lived for 10 and a half hours before she, before she passed away. Wow. And so we kind of came, came out of that and was like, all right, Lord, what are you going to do with this? Mm-hmm. How you going you know, to Romans eight twenty eight this one, with, right. you know, how are you going to work this one for good? Mm-hmm. Um, and my wife immediately realized there just weren't any resources for women who were walking through that journey. Because 85 to 90% of those babies are terminated. Um, they take the advice of their doctors and they mm-hmm. terminate those pregnancies. And so um, she started a nonprofit called caringdeterm.org, uh, which is just a resources for women and doctors. Um, carrying say, carrying to term. To term yeah. dot okay. org. Okay. And so she gets about 3,000 women every month hitting that website looking for, for, looking for resources. So She's still doing that. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. yeah. How many weeks was uh, at what what week was the baby born? Was Grace born? Uh, Thirty nine and three days. So oh, okay, so full almost term. almost Pretty made much, it to full right? term. Yeah, okay, yeah, it's full term. I guess thirty eight weeks is considered or thirty four weeks is considered okay. full term. Something like that. but yep. yeah, almost made it. You know, to full forty weeks, and so what, we were was the condition pregnant. a heart condition or brain? The oh, top okay. of her skull did not close properly. I see, and so the amniotic fluid basically eats away at your brain until there's there's mm-hmm. not, not enough to function mm-hmm. so but you had it for ten and a half hours ten and a half hours yeah ten and a half hours which was an incredible spiritual experience yeah so. yeah do you just you have the baby and then you just you just hold grace knowing that you're not going to have her very long most likely mm-hmm. you're still praying for a miracle still praying for a miracle mm-hmm. you know at that point I think there you, you see her you see what happened you, you, you know what what the outcome is is most okay. likely going to be. I mean, we mm-hmm. were praying for a miracle the entire the entire time, and mm-hmm. you know, some of the the best prayers that you think are unanswered are answered in ways that you don't don't anticipate, mm-hmm. right? 
and so you know happy to talk a little bit about how you know grace has impacted our lives because it's, i love to hear it that. has been you know but a massive a massive impact for sure i'm sure but the other thing that stands out to me is this is happening within i don't know what six eight nine ten months of you moving to austin so you're new here so yeah. presumably you don't have strong community yet so what was the community like Very around little. you? Very little. Okay. Very little. Yeah, we were we were married in um, in July, uh, and then Grace was born the following May. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we were we were less than you know a year married when when we lost her. Mm-hmm. So it was, it's a pretty rough start to marriage, and that's yeah, within that. a little over a, a you know about a year worth of time from when we moved to Austin too. So I mean, it's just we didn't have community. Um, we hadn't really kind of gotten into a, we were still church hopping a mm-hmm. little bit, trying to find the right church in town. Um, so we just, you know, dug in for what ended up being a year and a half or two years. So over a year's time, you sold VRI, you got married, you got pregnant with your first child, uh, your first child died, mm-hmm. you moved to a new city. Mm-hmm. Holy cow, man. It's like, what else can you throw in there? Exactly. How was that <laughs> season of life? Oh man, it was, it was, was it? uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it was the, de- for sure the most difficult season of life that I've ever been in clearly. I mean, you, there is, um, a indescribable grief when you see your daughter, your child take her last breath. Right. I mean, that is just a, something that, you know, you, you can't even via a podcast describe because it's, it that. is, it is you know, the darkness of those, those following days is, is, is very, very real, Mm -hmm. very, very real, you know? And so my heart goes out to all those, those families or, you know, dads and moms who've lost kids Mm because it's just a, a darkness, Mm -hmm. um, that I only, you know, like I'm a, as you've heard, I'm a man of faith. And so only, only I feel like the Lord can lift, you know? Um, and so there was about a two year period of time there where we were fighting for our marriage because clearly, you know, men and women grieve very differently. Yeah, I was going to um, ask about that if that had a negative effect on your marriage. Oh yeah, I mean, it was awful. We had we had an awful marriage for about eighteen months to okay. two years. I mean, you know, eighteen months for sure, and you can you can probably say two years, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Just dealing with the pain, the pain, yeah, okay. the pain, and you know, it's as 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 guys we. I'm generalizing here. Mm-hmm. Let me just say, for me as as a guy, I internalized that that pain, mm-hmm. so I didn't talk a lot about it. Which mm-hmm. to my wife l- seemed like I didn't care, you know, sure. as much. Where I cared just as much as I was just dealing with it. Where she was an external processor. Yes, right. Um, and then you also the other thing too with grief is you become very selfish. Become very self. It's all about me, right? It's all about mm-hmm. my feelings mm-hmm. and how I'm feeling right now because how you know. I don't, I don't have time to think about your feelings. Sure. I, dude, I just lost a child. Like, give me a break with your, you know, BS issue that you're dealing with at work. Right. Yes. And so it becomes all about you. You know, it's a very selfish thing. Mm. And so that's one of the things that we just had to realize and get over. And so in marriage, which is most one of the most selfless, you know, relationships that you should have, you become all about each, you know, yourself as opposed mm-hmm. to the, as the other person. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's a, it was a, it was a tough period of time, but you know, again, praise God that um, we, we we got out of that. I think our marriage is stronger today as a result of of going through that than mm-hmm. it would have otherwise been. Yeah, yeah, I'm happy to hear that's one of the outcomes in time. One of the positive outcomes in time is the, the stronger marriage through going through that, and you, and ultimately it didn't drive you apart. But this thing of 
you, you just mentioned it in passing, and I have friends that have also lost a child, and it is hard for a parent. I'm only, it's, I'm just kind of referring to their instance, and you just mentioned it. If you've lost a child, you know what deep, actual, real, painful, searing hurt and loss and suffering feels like. Mm-hmm. And then when you have parents that get, say, so caught up in how their child, you know, maybe has a fever and they're just losing their mind because it might be COVID or things like that, like much, much, much lesser things. And those parents are just kind of like making a huge deal about it. It can be hard for them to deal with it because it's like, all right, your problem is your child has a fever. How about losing a child? You know what I mean? Mm. And you're kind of touching on that with being at work and like people have other issues, but you have, you'd work through a much bigger issue, so to speak, or much greater pain, right? Is that something that just eventually you sort of work through and don't hold that against other people when they're having difficulty too, but it's nowhere near the extent of hurt that you went through. Is that something that kind of heals over time and you develop a little bit more empathy for other people's much smaller problems? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, once you have kid, we've had been blessed with two more girls. So we've got, you know, three girls, one heavenly and two, two here on earth. I think Mm -hmm. that, um, as we see ourselves battling the same issues that all of our, you know, friends battle, um, there's easy to have empathy over the fever, <laughs> sure. you know, over, yep. over the temper tantrum, right. Which we're yep. dealing with with two, our two year old right now. Right. Like, yep. and so it's easier to get to empathy. And I don't, I don't think we ever got to that place of being like, Hey, you know, other than maybe that year and a half that I've talked mm-hmm. about just after, um, we never were at that place of like, Hey dude, cry me a river. Uh, right. because y- your, your issue is real, right? Mm-hmm. Um, our issue is real. Um, mm-hmm. and I, and I do think that the pain, of losing grace and the year and a half of struggling with that in our marriage and things have, have created some perseverance. Um, sure. yeah. And, and so, you know, that's, a, that's a biblical, a biblical thing, right? Like, yes. you know, you know, praise, praise God for all of the pain because it creates perseverance and ultimately that allows you to look a lot more like Christ. Right. Yeah, um, it's true. Well, I think on the one side you have, say on, on, on your side, you have that, that empathy piece, but on the other side, and I think this is the, the much, much bigger piece. You have this, this perspective. So if I'm a parent that has not lost a child and I'm getting, you know, look, I don't like when any of our kids get fevers. So I mean, this is just (laughs) an example here. We could pick other examples like this, like your kid not getting on a baseball team or whatever it is. Um, Look, you're looking out for your children. I get that you don't like that they have a fever, but I think there is a a lesson there on perspective (laughs) when you're a parent and you realize that, yeah, my child's going through something right now, but it's very could be very short term. It could be very minor. It's just kids get sick, right? So he has a fever. Like, but I have my child and he's not about to die. Like there's that perspective on the other side of the aisle mm-hmm. too, where I think that's where a lot of learning needs to happen. And I think it depends on the parents. Look, plenty of parents are super mature and they handle that with grace. And then there's also some parents out there, let's just be honest, that are pretty immature mm-hmm. and they fly off the handle anytime anything tends to go a little bit wrong with any of their children. It's like, man, take a breath. Like this is parenting, you know, yeah. like what I think, you're dealing think, with is really not that big a deal in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. You know? I mean, look, I think children <laughs> reveal selfishness in ourself, right? I mean, it's just mm-hmm. from, from my perspective and, and I, and I, and we're, I'm still a super selfish human being. We all are, we're all broken. Yep. Right. And so anytime that my daughters go cuckoo, right. Mm-hmm. Which is 
pretty often they're two and four. Um, okay. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's like, I got to look at it from a perspective of saying, okay, I'm getting fed up with my daughters because yeah. what I want to do is more important than what they, that yes. what's what they're going through. Mm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that's just a revealing of selfishness in me. And so that's the way that I can look at it. And is that, I don't know, view because we lost grace and because we are now, you know, hyper-focused on like, how are we selfish, how mm-hmm. selfish human beings? Yeah, maybe. Um, yeah. And, but, you know, praise God for, for kids, because I do think they, they reveal a selfishness in us, which yes. is, you know, a core sin, yes. <laughs> you know, um, you know, selfishness, maybe it looks like pride, maybe it looks like other things, but I mean, that is the core of all of our sinful behavior from my perspective is, is selfishness. It's about yes. us. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, anytime I get pissed off my, my daughter, it's probably more to deal with me than it is to do with her. She's two. Yep. Right. I mean, what do you expect? Yeah. She's yeah. two. She's going to have a temper tantrum. Yep. You know, but somehow we make it about us. Like you're right. You're right. <laughs> you're totally right. And that's convicting to me too, because I can parent out of a selfish desire much too often I find myself where it's like I'm asking that child to change their behavior so that it's easy it makes my day easier yeah you know and it's not about growing them or developing them or having a learning moment with them it's just stop doing that because right now you're you're an obstacle to what I'm trying to get done or to my happiness and that's just not it's a true. good way to parent but it's true yeah selfishness uh, is probably one of my top sins for sure um, you mentioned some learnings and just with life and everything from losing grace. Did we cover that or is there more there you want to touch on? No, I mean, I think that, um, you know, I'll share with you a couple of specific examples of where, you know, I think as you go through something like this, um, in, in someone's faith journey, it can take you, it can derail your faith journey or can strengthen your faith journey. Mm-hmm. And, you know, praise God, we've had, you know, several situations in which we felt like the Lord was, tapping us and being like, Hey, I know this is really, really hard, but I'm here. I'm here. Um, and I'll give you just a couple very real examples. And some of your listeners may think I'm cuckoo for, for telling these, but I think it is, I think they're very, very real. So the couple of days after we got back from the hospital, um, you know, which were that's more, the difficult, more, most difficult days, right? You're, you're going, you're leaving the hospital without a baby, right? You go in with a baby, you leave without a baby. I mean, can you imagine, you know, you're, you just said your son is in the handing mm-hmm. your son over or whoever to a nurse yeah, knowing that you will never see him again. Yep. Right. Like that is one of the most painful things. And so we went home and, uh, and the enemy, I feel like got into our brains and was like, we were asking each other, it's like, did we tell Grace that we loved her enough? Mm-hmm. I mean, like what an, what an awful question that is. Like, does she know how much we loved her? Um, and we, we just bawled over that, you know, and I went to bed that night and I had this dream where I was grace looking up at me and Steph and just being flooded with the greatest emotion of love or the greatest feeling of love that I've ever felt in my entire life. Wow. You know, and I'm just like, you know, if you weren't a believer, you didn't believe that, that we have a, a creator, you could say, Oh, that was just the, the body's way of, adapting right mm-hmm. um for me it was like the lord was like hey you know she felt your love mm-hmm. and even more than that she's feeling my love in heaven right like that feeling of love like i said i've never ever felt anything like it hmm. um just and being so just saturated in love saturated yeah. from head to toe mm-hmm. of just feeling total love hmm. and i'm like oh 
Thank you, Lord. This is the first night after you got back from the hospital? Second night. Wow. Second night. Yeah, what a gift from God. Yeah, and you know, it's... I. And I think I think the Lord can talk to us in dreams. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, I think Joseph was the one that heard in the dream, like, "Yeah, no, take Mary." You know, like, mm-hmm. there's something good going on here, yep. right? Yep. Um, I'm not a theologian, but I'm pretty sure it was a dream. Yep. Um, you know, and then interestingly, you know, a couple of weeks later, we had a pastor tell us, stupid pastor, I won't name the name, um, say, "Hey, there's nothing biblically that says that grace is in heaven." Uh oh. And so you, you think about this, right? And you're like, you have grieving parents who their one ounce of hope is like, our daughter is with Jesus. Right. right? And now you have a pastor who says, I'm not, there's nothing biblically that says babies are, go to heaven, which devastated us, as you can imagine. Why would he say this? Because he's stupid. Huh. Um, and so um, Steph um, had a dream that night that she was looking through a two-way window where she was on one side, you know, those windows, those the mirror, excuse me, two-way mirror yep. where they have a reflective side and a non-reflective side, but you could see through it. Right. Yep. So grace was on the reflective side and Steph was on the non-reflective side and she could see grace healed as a teenager, just beautiful, you know, oh, in, in the most beautiful place. You know, it's like, for, again, I was like, that to me is like the Lord being like, I'm with you. I yeah. got you. Yeah. You know, I will comfort you yes. through this most difficult period of time. Yep. And I'm not sure what we would have done without those, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And so those were real tangible things that I felt like we heard from the Lord that got us through the most difficult yeah. time in our life. So Wow. Yeah, praise God for that. Wow, that, man, what a gift, seriously. And at this point, how long have you been a believer? Man, I was, so I became a believer in 30, 33 so I was probably 35, 36, so two or three years in. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So, that was, so we lost Grease in 2015, and so this was 2015. Yeah, so I was 36. Okay. Did uh, did this experience rock your faith, or did it strengthen it? Strengthen it, for sure. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, just, yeah, you got to lean. We, we leaned in. We leaned into our faith, and mm. we were, um, we go to the Austin Stone here in Austin. Oh, you do? Yeah. Oh, okay, cool. And um, Matt Carter, who was the, the senior pastor at the time, was walking through First Peter, which is mm. all about just having really hard things happen, <laughs> mm. and how the Lord uses those to mm-hmm. strengthen you, right? And so we just felt like again that was like the Lord giving us like the perfect message in our in our our journey. Um, yes. Soon after losing Grace, it was like, hey, he's going to use this pain for good, mm-hmm. right? And um, and I think he did. Mm-hmm. And I think he did. Yeah. How soon after? Uh, Grace's death. Did you wind up at Austin Stone? Um, f- very soon after. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Uh, and I don't know exactly what the timing was, yeah. but I think we've been it was there even, since. Yeah, we've ever okay. we've been there ever since. Yeah. That is one of the things that I think is unique to a church is you minister to so many different types of people and people from so many different backgrounds and experiences, and wins and losses and good times and bad times and suffering and victories. Y'all like you. They all come together, you know, to this church a few times a week or one time a week or whatever. And the ability for the gospel message to go out and be preached to like all these different types of people and experiences and to like for that to bring hope and healing and a depth of faith to those people. I mean, because I'm just picturing you're coming to the to the stone with your experience, but there's people there that have not had loss of any Mm-hmm. any kind, you know, and, and the gospel message like 
is equally valuable to both, you sure. know, to all. Absolutely. It's just, it's just one of the, I think that's such a great thing about the local churches. Um, so I'm happy to, well, the good ones, right? Cause there are some churches that are not so, not so great. Yeah. And, um, and then there's a lot of hurt that comes out of that. So, um, Hmm. How soon after then uh, Grace's death did you have uh, your next daughter? So uh, Grace passed away in May of 15, um, got pregnant in November of 15 okay. with Ava. Oh, you have an Ava. We have an Ava. We have an Ava. Oh, it's yeah. a good name. It's a great name. Yeah, easy to spell. She's got it yes. down. <laughs> <laughs> Ours too. <laughs> Our Ava is six now. So okay. yours is four, you yeah, said? four. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yep, and then uh, what's the name of your youngest? Caroline. Oh, nice. Yeah. Caroline is two. Grace, Ava, and Caroline. Yeah. Oh, you have nice names. I we like got, all we got, of those uh, names. An Ava Grace and a Caroline Grace. So they're all they're both named middle names are after their oh, big, really? big sister. So. Oh, that's a cool idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. Um, all right, so how about then going back to selling VRI? Mm-hmm. What do you do in the weeks or months following? Now, I suspect. Um, having the um, your experience with Grace and everything that probably that came right on the heels of selling VRI, correct? So mm-hmm. that probably affected that. But what was your plan, kind of from a business side or career? Were you planning to take a few months off, a couple of years off? What, what was your plan there? Yeah, and then you know, what did you do? I'm I'm an Enneagram eight, so I don't know if you're an, into Enneagrams, but Enneagram I know a little eight bit. is they're the bulldozers, the, right? The bulldozers, okay, right? They are drivers. They want to get stuff done. So I cannot sit at home and twiddle my thumbs. Yeah, it's just not very good. I'm not very good at that. Yeah, um, and so um, I had to go and do do something else. Um, so I actually stuck around with VRI for about a year and a half. Um, so I sold it in fourteen. Stuck around for about a year and a half. We lost Grace, and I was just like, "Hey guys, I I gotta transition out." So I ended up tra- transitioning out in 2016, mm-hmm. um, and then um, did some just private investing, um, helping some smaller companies try to scale. Um, mm-hmm. So did that for um, about a year, um, and then I was listening to uh, Andy Stanley um, at the end of 16. Let's see, end of 16. Yeah, he said. Uh, you know, forget about news resolutions because um, we all forget about them by January 7th anyway. So what, what breaks your heart? Mm. Um, and to me, the fact that we lose a million babies to abortion every year breaks my heart. Um, and that's what I felt like the spirit put on my, my heart. Um, mm. You know, and many of them are like grace. Like I said, you know, 85 to 90% of, of babies like grace are terminated. Mm. Um, and so he's like, okay, what are you going to go do about it? Right. And, and, and make that you know, what you think about this new year. So like, mm-hmm. what breaks your heart and what are you going to go do about it? And so I was like, all right, Lord, like what, what am I going to do about it? I don't know. Well, the next day, a, mem- uh, a member of the board of directors at the local pregnancy center here in Austin called Austin Life Care reached out to me and said, hey, the executive director stepped down yesterday. Um, are you at all? In- I know this is out of left field, but are you at all interested in this job? And I'm like, oh, geez. Like a pregnancy center, for, for those who don't know, or for women who have unplanned pregnancies, they can go, you know, one of two places they can go to Planned Parenthood or they, you know, or, or the, or an equivalent, or they can go to a pregnancy center, which is basically a place where they try to help you walk through that decision journey. Mm. Right. Um, and so this was a tiny little organization here in Austin. And I'm like, come on, Lord, like I just ran a company where, you know, 350 employees, like you're going to, 
I'm better than this. Come yeah. on, you know. And he, and it was very very clear after I fought him for a couple of weeks. It was like, no, 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 this is what I want you to do. And so mm-hmm. I I joined uh, Life Care in March of seventeen. Um, and um, you know, I I went into this as kind of a goal of or originally it was like, hey, I'm clearly I'm just gonna interim, you know, executive director here of this little nonprofit. Um, because I'm a guy, I don't know the first thing about, mm-hmm. you know, unplanned pregnancies, like pregnancies in general, like I'm, I'm pretty, I'm, I'm an idiot when it mm-hmm. comes to this stuff. So what, what do you want me to do here? But I, as I, I went in, I MBA'd it a little bit and said, okay, you know, there are 3,500 <clears throat> of these pregnancy centers throughout the country. There are 350 Planned Parenthoods that do abortions. So there are 10 times the number of pregnancy centers that there are Planned Parenthoods who do abortions, Right. Yet only 2% of women with unplanned pregnancies will go to a pregnancy center while the other 97 or 98% will go to an abortion clinic. Oh, wow. And I'm like, why, if we have so many more locations, are we only having like a 2 or 3% market share, right? And so I invited all the other, other pregnancy centers um, to my house. I said, there's seven other ones in Austin. And I said, mm-hmm. hey, come to my house. Let's Let's talk about this. Like, let's pray together. Let's talk about what's working, what's not working, how can we work together? And, and of the seven, one said yes, three said no, and the others didn't respond. And I'm like, wow. Hmm. The enemy's to doing To even it. come to your house to talk? To even talk? come to my house to talk. Whoa. I was going to feed them a good steak dinner and everything. Right. Right. You know, and I invited their their spouses. And and so I was like, you know, the enemy is doing a very good job of keeping us fragmented, right? Because if you bring those 3,500 together and act as one, um, you could really have an impact on, on abortions in this country. And so why do you think they said no or didn't respond? Is there a sort of this feeling of competition? Yeah, there is, there is. Yeah. You know, it's, it's one of those weird things, right? Where you have to have don't, you have donors, right? You don't want anybody stealing your donors. And so somebody else new coming in just that might steal your donors. I think it is, there's a fear there. Wow. of, Of their donors being, being stolen. Yeah, that's surprising to me. Yeah, it's it's a it's a strange thing in nonprofit ministry world, and we can talk about that a little bit too. It's just but. sort of like the the idea is I'm doing my thing. I have my clients or customers, so to speak, the people I'm helping. Mm-hmm. I have my donors. This is this is my little mission here, and please don't interfere with yeah. that. And I don't really need to go learn what you're doing because, like, what we're doing, it's sort of mm-hmm. we have something going. Like that's kind of the mindset. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh wow. Hmm. You know, whereas yeah. I feel like we as believers need to have an abundance mentality. Of course, yeah. Right, which is like the Lord is in control. He is sovereign. Um, and so let's just do what's best for the kingdom as opposed to best what's for our little organization. Yes. Right? And, and what you said I think is totally right. It's just like this is our organization, mm-hmm. right? And in reality, you should be open-handed with this and said, no, this is God's organization. Let's do yeah. what's best to glorify him in everything that we do. Yep. Um, are most of the pregnancy centers, are they... Are they sort of like evangelical Christians that mostly, are running them? Mostly. Mostly, mostly evangelical. And Cat- I think Catholics into there's it a couple, too? couple Yeah. Okay. So in Austin, there's a couple Catholic ones as well. Okay. So, yeah. Is that mostly it, though? Or like, are there like, I don't know, other types of faiths, like Mormons or anything that have these not types of things? I, I mean, I'm okay. sure there are some out there, but I don't... There, okay. There's, it's not a big percentage. I see. Okay. Yeah. So after that, I was like, oh, wow, you know, these people, these pregnancy centers in Austin don't want to talk to me. And so why don't I go to San Antonio and Houston and Dallas? 
And um, I did that and found a group in San Antonio, a group in Houston, and a group in Dallas who wanted to all work together under one brand so that we could really build a statewide alternative to Planned Parenthood for these women. Mm. So that was the vision. Um, Roe v. Wade, which was the big Supreme Court case that legalized abortion back in 1973, started in in Texas, in Austin, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, we thought that planting the seed here in in Texas and Austin specifically to have a a real alternative um, was 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 providential, you mm-hmm. know. Um, and so, you know, we 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 did that. We I've been running that for the last um, almost. four four years and then uh that ended last last uh last month october yeah or no two months ago october do you find someone else that um you feel good about leading that not yet oh really yeah so what are they doing uh i don't know (laughs) (laughs) there's to be full full transparency and i'm not sure how much of this is going to air i was i was let go okay and it was a clash of entrepreneurship versus nonprofit. I mean, if you think about the management, about the that. management spectrum, <laughs> the way that you manage organizations, right? Nonprofit is on one side and, and entrepreneurship is on the other side, yeah. you know? It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, and so I think just the, the style, the entrepreneurial style, yeah. um, just does not, did not resonate with the nonprofit, um, way of life. Yeah, I can know? see that for sure. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I do want to talk more about nonprofit versus for profit. But um, I'm curious with your time there. All right, so I'm curious what you learned, or if we could hear a little bit more about abortions because I don't know a lot about that. Sure. Um, you mentioned a million abortions a year. <laughs> Why are you laughing? No, I'm just saying it's like <laughs> I'm not sure on your podcast. Like abortion was like the number one thing that we wanted to talk about, but I'm happy. No, to get no, there. I'm, <laughs> I'm, no, I'm happy to because here, let me tell you why. I've had two people. Okay, here, here's the thing. For, I don't know why this is, but for whatever reason, sometimes abortion and kind of social justice issues, mm. like racial reconciliation, mm-hmm. those issues are pitted against each other. I'm not sure why, mm. but this has come up twice now where someone has asked me, because we've talked about social justice issues on this podcast a few times, and back in April and May, I mean, there was, I don't mm-hmm. know, two or three or, well, two or three people in particular that came on, and we spent a lot of time talking about it with everything that was going on mm. in the country. And twice this summer, I've had people ask me specifically, okay, but how many times have you talked about abortion? And it caught me mm-hmm. off guard a little bit. And I was like, oh, but, uh, well, I, <laughs> we haven't dove into abortion, I guess, yet at all. Like, we haven't had a podcast on abortion. And why did you ask that? You know what I mean? It's like, mm-hmm. well, what are you get, what are you getting at? Mm-hmm. Like, and I think where they were coming from is like, hey, man, you're talking about kind of this racial reconciliation topic. Why are you not equally talking about I guess abortion at the same time or at the same amount. I don't know. For whatever reason, these things are somewhat pitted against each other. I, yeah, I, I really I don't know why that is. I, I get but, it. You know, because I've gone there before, you know, and I was like, okay, so we've got big societal issues. Right. And I think, you know, if you are a, if you think abortion is the killing of a human being, right. Um, that is a big societal issue. Yes, that's what it is. Yep. Right. And mm-hmm. so, and uh, some of the racial injustice things, Big societal issue. Yes. So if we're talking about this big societal issue, why aren't we talking about this big societal yes, issue? Yes, that's exactly you know? where and they're coming and from. And that's where they're coming yeah, from. And, and I kind of understand that. Yeah. 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 So all I have to say, I don't know a lot about abortion, um, like how prevalent. I know that they don't need a... They don't need to turn in their numbers, right? That's my understanding. But you mentioned there's a million abortions a year about a million, in this country. Just under a billion. Yeah. Just, just under, under a million. million. Yeah. Okay. And, and so, what you know, to, for me, I take a little bit of a different approach on this, a little bit more of a pragmatic approach. 
you know, because I think, you know, we get so caught up in our right versus left political stances, mm-hmm. right? That my big frustration is there's a lot of us in the middle who are like, hey, we can have a conversation about this without hating each other. Totally. Right? Yep. And let's so let's talk about, you just talked about social justice, which is a thing that pits the left against the right, right? Mm-hmm. Let's talk about abortion, which definitely pits the left against the right, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. And so the way that I look at this is saying, listen, I think we can, most of us can agree, right? that abortion is not something we should go and party about, mm-hmm. right? Let's not celebrate it. Like you are performing a medical procedure that costs money, right? That has been shown to have psychological, negative psychological outcomes. And to some, including myself, I'll put myself in this camp, kill a human being, mm-hmm. right? So whether you think it's bad, bad financially for women who tend to be poor, right? or more, you know, lean, more poor, um, or have psychological conditions or kill a human being. Let's all agree that like Hmm. abortion is probably not a great thing. Mm -hmm. Right. And so why don't we take an approach of saying one, how do we reduce unplanned pregnancies? Right. That for me is where the evangelical group has come against me specifically, because I think the best way to do that is, put women who have a high risk of an abortion on birth control. Hmm. (laughs) And so the evangelicals are saying, telling me like, Hey, that, that is bad because you are now telling them that sex outside of marriage is okay. Mm -hmm. Right. And I'm saying, no, they're coming to us because they're having sex. Mm -hmm. Right. And so how do we reduce the risks of that? abortion killing the human being if you really think a human being is going to be killed let's keep a human being from getting killed let's put them on contraception Mm -hmm. and then lead them back to a more biblical view of sex Mm -hmm. right um i haven't seen anybody take a biblical view of sex who doesn't believe as jesus is their savior i mean you don't start with hey i'm I'm not going to have sex outside of marriage and then get to a place of saying, I believe that Jesus is right. my savior. You start with believe that Jesus is my savior. Then you go come back and say, oh, you know what? Maybe sex within the yep. a marital co- context is the best way of having mm-hmm. it. Right. And so it's like, let's, let's care for them where they are. Mm-hmm. You know, if hopefully they'll accept Jesus because that's what we want. Mm-hmm. Right. And they'll then move back to a more biblical view of sex. That to me is, is the, the, the best way of, of doing yes. this. That makes all kinds of sense. And is the pushback on that, this sort of idealistic view where, no, we don't want you to abort your baby, and we don't want you to be having sex outside of marriage, and we're just not willing to, quote-unquote, compromise and give you a safe way to have sex outside of marriage in the meantime, while we still work on kind of changing your heart and giving you some information and ideas why that might be a bad thing to be doing for your sake and, 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 and so forth. And there's just sort of this... Almost, I just picture it kind of like this idealistic view that we don't want you to to have an abortion. We also don't want you to have sex outside of marriage, and uh, so we're just not willing to have contraception kind of be part of the discussion. Is that kind of yeah. the thinking there? Right. Okay. Which we but think that's contra- kind of dangerous because it's it's like this is what we want, but is it really plausible? You know what I mean? Is that kind of viewpoint is that really workable in society? I guess I'm coming back around. I agree with you. Your viewpoint. Is is the is the idea that we can just get people to stop having sex? Yeah, it's not. That's it's not like that's that's not. It's great. You know, you can have this idea. You can have this I- ideal, but it's really not that plausible, right? I mean, yeah, it's not. It's not plausible. Yep. Unless you believe in Jesus, you're not going to go to a biblical view of sex. 
It's just right. not going to happen. Yeah. Right. And yep. so to try to reverse those is really yes, impossible yep. from my perspective. So then the other pushback is they think that they, you know, when egg meets sperm, that is conception, right? That is a human being. Mm -hmm. And so the argument then is these, um, these contraceptives, um, are impacting that mm. egg meat sperm, mm -hmm. right? So a fertilized egg where we've gone through 300 studies, you know, the one that everybody points at is, is that being the case is from 1964, right? So, it, you know, all the new studies show that the, the drugs are so good now that egg and sperm meet very, very, very rarely. Mm. I mean, you have, a higher, you have a higher likelihood of, of, dying in a car accident this year than egg meeting sperm and it being, you know, aborted with a, a with this drug. Really? Right? And yeah. by, by, by this drug, do you mean birth control? Birth control. Yeah. I see. Okay. Interesting. Now, what, now let's say sperm does meet eggs successfully. Like people have a lot of different opinions on this, right? If like the day after, is that a human being or not? Like some would say no and some would say yes though, right? Oh yeah. And I would say yes. Oh, you would? Yeah. Okay. I would. And, and, and from my perspective, that's a human being. Hmm. And so we should try to protect that human being at all costs. Mm -hmm. And so what the evangelical writer is saying is, okay, well, if you think that's a human being, then and we need to protect that human being. Mm -hmm. And you have a drug that has a very small chance of aborting that human being, then you shouldn't use the drug. Okay. Right. And I'm saying that we take risks every single day. I'm mm -hmm. sitting here with you. And we're in the middle of a pandemic, and we are four feet from each other, mm -hmm. right? And so there is a possibility that you have COVID, now I have COVID, mm -hmm. and there's a possibility that I die from COVID because I'm having this conversation with you. Mm -hmm. There's a chance that I, I drove here. There's a chance that I, when I drive home that I die in a car accident. Yes. Right? We make decisions every single day yep. that put us at risk, but we make decisions for the our best outcome, right? And so I my argument is that there is a massively small, maybe one in 10,000 chance that that fertilized egg gets destroyed. And I they're see. saying, well, it's a one in 10,000. Mm. Here's the other stat that people don't want to talk about. In the first four weeks after, um, of gestation, meaning the first four weeks after fertilized egg, if you have wine two or three times a week, it is 10x more likely to create a miscarriage than that drug 10 10 x 10 x and so wow if you're going to be against a birth control pill right then you should be also against anybody in their reproductive years having wine wow that's something right and so the you know there's this sacred cow <laughs> right that we just can't get around that i'm saying could be the end of abortion if we could just get these women on contraceptives, mm -hmm. we could end abortion mm -hmm. the way that we're seeing it now, right? Yep. And so why, why? I mean, the people from the right who think, I hate abortion, and the people on the left who say, I hate unplanned pregnancies, man, can't we all get together and say, mm -hmm. we should get these women on contraceptives? Yeah. You know, from 1980 to today, abortion has been cut by half. From 1980 to today women there's massively more women on contraceptives and the contraceptives are significantly more effective than they were back in 1980 and so wow, there is I, a I didn't, I didn't perfect correlation between 
contraception and abortion. And so for me, I take a pragmatic approach that says, if we want to reduce abortions, let's get women on contraceptives. And by the way, believers, it gives you an opportunity to engage them. Right. Yeah. Right. You're not yelling at them on a street corner. You're engaging them. Let's engage them. That's mm-hmm. what we're called to do. Mm-hmm. And let's do the merciful, merciful thing, which is to keep them from having an abortion. Yes. That to me feels Christ-like. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And that viewpoint was not popular in all of the pregnancy care center circles. Oh, no. We got we got blown up pretty good by most pregnancy center folks that said we are worse than Planned Parenthood. We are worse than the folks doing the abortions. Whoa. Yeah. So they, they have a pretty vitriolic reaction. Because to that. they felt like you were compromising on what should have been a very clear and very hard line. Yes. Hmm. Yes. Hmm. Yeah, it's a uh, man. That speaks to I think maybe another one of those differences between nonprofit and for profit, right? I feel like you tend to have less very clear and very hard lines on the for profit side, a little bit more of a pragmatic approach to whatever the issue may be. But the, now, half the half. And it, but let me say, there's there are very clear lines biblically, right? Yeah, but not on this. Exactly. Right. I totally agree with that. And so, yeah. you know, when we go through our discernment process, we talked to lots of pastors <laughs> and mm. said, hey, what are you all feeling about this? One pastor, and I won't mention his name, is a pastor that everybody knows, the, one of the most famous, the Pope of pastors. And he said, you should absolutely do this. Hmm. You should absolutely do this. And so I think it's Romans 14 basically said, he uses Romans 14, I believe it's the right verse. He said, look, if it's not specifically spelled out biblically, we can disagree. And we should be okay with disagreeing. So, and biblically, right. they, it says, hey, some of you want to eat meat and some of you don't want to eat meat. Mm-hmm. Let's not fight over eating meat, mm-hmm. right? Some of you want to take Sabbath on Saturdays and some of you want to take Sabbath on Sundays. Let's not fight about when we take over Sabbath. Like, yes. these are things that we should not let get in the way of us believers. Yet, there's a hard, fast line on this contraception thing that I feel like is dividing um, when it should be uniting. And um, yep. I do, I do, you know, we've got a lot of people approach us from the middle of the, of the political spectrum. I was like, man, I love this. Mm-hmm. So we got a, we, we uh, had an article in the Washington post front page article um, about what we were doing on this. And, you know, we got tons of good feedback on oh, this. Wow. And so including, you know, one of the top 10 billionaires in the world, a name you would know that I, you know, they forced us to keep confidential because they don't want them, you know, people knowing that they're investing in, in mm-hmm. our organization, but they're like, Hey, I saw this. I'm not a believer. But I believe in getting, you know, women access to contraception to reduce unplanned pregnancies. Mm-hmm. And that's something I'm willing to put money into. And so they invested in the organization. This is like one wow. of the, I mean, they walk through our offices. It was a surreal the experience. billionaire himself? Billionaire, yeah. The guy himself? Yeah. Wow. That's, wow. That's, wow. Very cool. Is the pushback again, the, on, on contraception, is it that you would be offering it whereby assuming that kind of giving license for for people to go have sex outside of wedlock, is that the problem? Or is the problem there's a 1 in 10,000 chance that a life happens and that birth control kills that life? Both. It's both? Yeah. Okay. And, yeah. and one of those two arguments resonates, you know, in different, depending on the, to- the person that you talk to, but those two are the, the two pieces of foot, primary pieces of push- pushback that we get. Yeah. Hmm. What was the work... What was what was the actual work there at the pregnancy care center? Is it 
offering support? Is it offering health care? Like, what, is it trying to talk people out of abortions? What was the work there? Yeah, so, you know, um, our, our, let me tell you what it, kind of our, our vision was for this. And it was two ways that you'd enter, right, into the door, right? You get an appointment. One is you, have an, uh, you think you might have an STD, mm. okay? So if you have an STD, you are by definition having sex. <laughs> mm. And what we found is that of the every 10 that came in, um, two were on contraception, eight were on contraception, four of the eight hit, will get pregnant in the next 12 months, and two of those will have an abortion, hmm. right? Okay, so that's the math. And so what we were trying to do is getting the eight who weren't on contraception on contraception so they wouldn't get pregnant, so they wouldn't have abortions, right? That's the first way. Mm-hmm. The second way is you are pregnant and you don't know what to do, right? And there's a host of reasons that you're trying to decide whether to to carry the baby or abort. Mm-hmm. It could be money. It could be housing. It could be, you know, a, a jerk dad. It could be, you know, we had sexual abuse. We've had, you know, domestic violence. We've had, you know, all kinds of things. And so it's like, hey, let's work through the thing, the reasons why carrying is not your number one option. And let's try mm-hmm. to help you with those, mm. right? One of them is I don't have health care. So we provide prenatal care for those. Um, we have referrals to pediatric care. So when you do have the baby. And so we just walk through the, the issues that you might have um, in carrying the baby. And, and hopefully we can resolve enough of those so that you say, hey, yeah, you know, this is something I, I think I can do. Mm-hmm. Right. And then we provide you with basically a, a mentor, which is a woman in the community that will walk with you one on one through your pregnancy and then up to two years after you had the baby to make oh, sure wow. that you are, you know, you know, improving some of the things that you were worried about when sure. you were, when you were pregnant. Right. Yeah. So, and they'll do everything from go to the grocery store to take you to the doctor's office to, you know, just love on you. Mm-hmm. Right. Like you just need somebody to love on you during those, those really hard times. Mm-hmm. The, a lot of times we were the only ones in the, in the room when they were having the baby, you know, Hey, remember pre COVID, you could have a lot of people in the room, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> but you know, a lot of times we were the only one there. So the, the father of the baby wasn't there. The, the mother didn't have any family members who wanted to be in, involved. And so it's like, we were the ones there loving her mm-hmm. along the way. So man, I'm thinking of, and that uh, doesn't seem controversial to me, right? Exactly. You know, yeah, but, none of that seems controversial, but we had people, yep. you know, picketing our, you know, our facilities and things like that. They're saying, you know, you're, you're misleading women. And it was like, guys, we're just we're just here to help them work through some of these issues and if they really wanted to have this baby wouldn't you want them to have this baby like wouldn't you want somebody to help you help them work through some of those issues mm-hmm. to me it's yes who, there was who, no misleading it was we were just there as a, a resource for for these women who was picketing the abortion pro abortion people yeah pro abortion people oh okay sure yeah. okay okay so, so now I've got they, myself in a situation where I have the pro-abortion people who hate me because yeah. they think I'm doing something. And I have these, you know, evangelical right who don't like me because of contraception. And so yeah. it's like, hey, you know, yep. the, the, the hard battle is, is uh, you know, down the center, I guess. That's just kind of weird. Yeah, I'm, I'm not shocked to hear that because that's kind of where we're at now with this country and a lot of issues. Mm-hmm. But I'm, I'm thinking of, you know, as you... I'm just thinking there's that song, I think it's Lady Gaga, that says, until it happens to you, you don't know how it feels. I think this is on one of her latest albums. <laughs> uh, don't ask me to try to sing it, but that's like that's what I'm picturing, because there's a lot of people that don't know anything about, they've never experienced anything 
like this. I'm, I'm thinking of kind of the more evangelical community mm-hmm. that they haven't dealt with these issues. And so you can have strong opinions. You can have from some very clear lines and some very strong opinions if it's something you've never come in contact sure. with or had to deal with, yeah. you know? Yeah. Uh, but until it happens to you, you don't know how it feels, you know? And I like the approach that you guys were taking. I'm also happy to hear that abortions are half of what they were in the 80s. I had no idea that was the case. Yeah. Um, the uh, learnings from your time there, yeah. which I'm, I'm, I, I am impressed by your willingness to jump in there considering your background. <laughs> um. And I'm sure that was hard, even from that standpoint of having been in for-profit, extremely successful, and then trying to run this nonprofit. Like, I'm sure you had some personal challenges just with all of that. Uh, So I'm impressed by your willingness to kind of take your talents and apply it to this area. So I'm sure you, you it was I'm sure you had some difficult times, some of which you talked about. But I'm also sure you learned some things, right? What what were some of the things you learned during your time there about the challenges at hand? Maybe some of which you already talked about, but even kind of personally or or leadership lessons or those types of things you learned while you were you were there. Yeah, I and mean, I'll tell you that it, you know it was uh, October, the middle of October when I was let go. So it's a month and a half, a little bit over a month and a half. So it's it's still pretty still pretty raw. Mm-hmm. So I will I will preface all of this with with it was it was still still pretty raw mm-hmm. um you know look yeah ran a non or for a for-profit business where your um basic basically your only metric for success is profit mm-hmm. <laughs> you know I, I kind of joked with my board at the nonprofit and i said hey listen i've never had a ceo review they review one number every year and it's profit that's how i'm Engaged, mm-hmm. right? Um, that's how I'm reviewed. You know, in my seven years of running the company, I literally never had a, a CEO review. And so I get into this, and you know, it's a two-hour CEO review. Where they had to go over like forty different variables of of what I've done. And I'm like, oh my god! Every year, every year. Oh, okay. Yeah. Who's going over it? The board. The board. Okay. The board. Yeah. Yeah. And where was the board, by the way? All in Austin or scattered around? Scattered around. Scattered okay. around. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so you know, it's. It, the details of which may be interesting, maybe not, is uh, what we did was we, we built and we had a new uh, 501c3, um, which was the state entity. And I was the CEO of the state entity. Mm-hmm. And we had four 501c3s um, that um, were affiliated. So we had one in Austin, one in Houston, one in Dallas, and one in San Antonio. We had eight clinics to start. Um, and so two um, representatives from each one of the local regions were on my board. Mm. Okay, so if you can imagine that I'm trying to lead these organizations, but these organizations were also on my board, right? So yes. there's a significant conflict there. I had no authority <laughs> to do anything at the local level because I can't hold them accountable because they're actually my bosses. I see. So that's one of the, the big friction point. Yeah. Right. But were they? Did they work at the local level? Did they work there? One and of them they worked, were on the board. One of them worked there, and one of them was on the board. I see. But but they were both board members on your board yes. that you reported to. Yes. Okay. And that structure was set up before you got there. Uh, I set it up. So oh, okay. I, I'm I raised my hand and I'm the one that goofed it up in the beginning. Okay. Yeah. You know I don't I, th- I don't know if we would have gotten them all together without that structure. The, right. The idea was like, hey, let's spend a year working together, um, so that we can kind of get this thing stabilized, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then let's go find an independent board, uh, to to, you know, actually offer some out, outside expertise. Mm-hmm. Um, 
that transition never happened. I see. <laughs> and so that's where the the challenge came. Okay. Yep. And were you advocating for giving free contraception as needed? Yes. Okay. And you would you would fund that through donors basically or how would that be funded? Donors Medicaid will pay for it as well. Oh, okay. Yep. Really? Mhm. And then there are some other specialty programs out there. Okay. That now, that would pay for it. If Medicaid is paying for that already, why are not more uh, women on that? They just don't know. I mean, a lot of people, a lot of these women don't know they can get it for free. Hmm. They don't have access to really good, you know, healthcare. They may have never been to an OB, GYN, you know, mm-hmm. anytime recently. And so they just don't know. It's, it's, it's a lot of just, um, you know, ignorance of, yeah. of the resources that are out there in the community. I see. Yeah. 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 You know, a lot of these people could, who came in could be on Medicaid. One of our services was we'll sign you up for Medicaid if you're eligible. Mm. So we'd have, you know, hundreds of women every year who we'd actually get signed up for Medicaid. Um, because up to that point, they, they hadn't even signed up for it if they were eligible for it. So I see. That's one of the services we provide. Yep. Is part of you relieved that they made the decision kind of for you and moved you on? Oh, yeah. Or, I mean, really? it was, it was mad, mad I mean, sad, you, and relieved. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay, because you were there Depending because you the felt day. like... Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm sure. Yeah. Because you were there because you felt like this is what the Lord would have you to do, right? It wasn't because, like, this mm-hmm. was your dream to run something like this. Right. And so now the Lord has, again, made it clear that you're not supposed to be there right true. now. So that, That's absolutely true. So a, you have to believe in His sovereignty. And, I, you know, it, there's a lot of reflection back of, like, okay, what can I have done differently? Mm-hmm. Right. I'm an eight. Right. And so I see a barrier and I run right through it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's just the way that I get things done. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas nonprofits kind of want to, they see the barrier, they want to talk about the barrier, they want to analyze, you know, how big is it? How deep is it? How, t-? you know, it's like, no, no, let's just go through it. Let's run through it. We can do this. Let's go. You know? Yeah. Um, and so there's just that. And so for me, you know, looking back, it's like, you know, Galatians talks about the fruits of the spirit, like love, joy, peace, patience, right? Patience is my hard one. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's, 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 you know, there's some, some sanctification through this as I look back and it's like, man, I, I do pretty good with love, joy and peace. It's the patience part that, sure. I, that I really struggle with. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if Paul put those in order of importance, but if, if, if he did, patience is yeah. pretty, you know, pretty high up there, I guess. Yeah. Um, so you know, there's things I could have done done differently. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the, well, the, the for profit yeah. to the nonprofit um, is it difficult? It's a difficult transition. Yeah, yeah. Well, let, let's talk about uh, let's talk about for profit versus nonprofit. So I mean, maybe we already covered it, but I'm just curious: what can the for profit group learn from the nonprofit group, and what can the nonprofit people learn from the for profit people? Yeah, You've no, I mean, both I, now. Again, I'm I'm raw into this, and so I probably look a little bit more on the what could the nonprofit people look from the for profit. I think that well, I you think know, there's a lot there to be honest. There, with you. there is. Yeah. There's a lot. Yeah. There's a lot there. Um, and you know, in the for profit, we 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 get really good at understanding what are the levers of the business that we can pull to increase growth. Yes. Right. Um, and and you you, can, you only get there by taking metrics, right? Take data, right? Like, give me data. Um, and in the, in the nonprofit business, when I first walked in, there was like no data, like we didn't have a clue, like Mm. how many women were showing up. We didn't know how, know how many were leaning towards having a baby versus not having the baby. We, you know, and so at the end of the day, we just didn't know how well we were doing. And so Mm -hmm. there needs to be an additional focus on gathering that data Mm -hmm. one, right. And then knowing what to do with that data too, you know, eventually our most of the pregnancy centers out there 
and I'm using pregnancy centers just as an example, know how many now know how many women come in and how many babies they saved, right? How many women who came in who said, I don't know if I want to carry and decided to carry. Yeah. Right. But that metric has sub metrics, right? Like that is a product of how many women walk in the door. How many of those women are abortion minded versus, Hey, I just want diapers. Right. And then how many of the abortion minded women are converted to wanting to carry. Right. So there's all these kind of sub metrics that you have to look at. And that's that extra step that I don't think, at least in the pregnancy center world, they're very good at, at doing is at one step down of, of analyzing that, that data. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, and so, you know, nonprofits just need to be a little bit more data driven, mm-hmm. you know, in, in their decision making process, right? They need to know how much does it cost to get a woman into into the into the facility. That's not very, you know, you don't get that from many. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, what's the what's the cost of customer acquisition, so to speak? Right? Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. um, and so I think there are some really smart people in the nonprofit space who come from the business world who are trying to instill some of that data mm-hmm. into into the nonprofit world. I mean, I look at this and I say, hey, listen, we've got all these secular businesses that are creating tons of value, right? I mean, I, how many times did I get on Amazon yesterday and order stuff, right? Yeah. And that's a secular secular business, right? Not a faith-based business. If it's anything, it's an anti-faith business, right? And, and they are creating excellent business models why is we as believers why can't we build excellent business models and operate in excellence and we're, we're, we're we got god behind us i mean mm-hmm. we, we think we do right yeah um and so why aren't we we operating in an excellent way you know and and so i i think you know nonprofits need to be more focused on business practice best business practices mm. they kind of like look at the business world and they're like oh business secular you know no yes. you know and actually they say no no let's take the pieces of that that work really well and allow facebook to go from you know my living room to you know what it is currently yep. right there's a set of practices that that have been used and so let's use those in the nonprofit world mm-hmm. and they're not widely used yes they're not widely used yeah well i was thinking too this this scarcity mindset that tends to be common i think in nonprofit as well right mm-hmm. that scarcity versus abundance mentality mm-hmm. um that that seems to be another thing where they kind of focused on their own and their own little kind of piece of the world and mm-hmm. think any intrusion on that or inclusion or outreach from that or partnerships kind of can take that away and in the for-profit world, it's just like, well, if there's an advantage to that, you're going to seriously consider it, right? Totally. And, and, and totally. go for it. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I think it, there is this, you know, chicken and egg issue, right? Because a lot of these executive directors are working their tails off, mm-hmm. right, to run this organization, and so they don't. And I'm so I'm not I'm not belittling any executive directors at all. They work hard, um, but they don't have the the the, the time to go out and fundraise. Right, because they have to fundraise to, to, to keep the lights on. Mm-hmm. And because they don't have enough money, they have to work harder in the business, which keeps them from going out and getting a lot more money, which I was saying is like, hey, let's build the metrics so that we could go to millionaires and billionaires and say, we've got a business model now that works, so fund it. Give us a little bit now. We'll execute upon that, and then you'll give us more. Mm-hmm. Right. And so instead of, or in addition to the $20 a month, you know, person donor, which is great. I'm mean, praise God for twenty dollars a month donors. Like, I was going out and getting hundreds, two hundreds, five hundred thousand dollars 
gifts, mm-hmm. right? Because I had the metrics, I had the business model. I see. And so, you know, I think then the challenge becomes is like, okay, now you have to execute upon that 500 because that guy who gives you the 500 or that family who gives you the 500, if they're giving you 500, they can give you 10 million. Yeah. And not even blink. Right. But you got to execute on the 500. Yeah. Right? You have to and earn it. You have to earn it. And and it's, and it's a gift when they give you the 10 million or the 500,000, it's a gift, by the way, that's not an investment. Yeah. That's a gift. Yeah. It's a gift. But, but people want to know that their money's going to work for them. Yeah. So you have to show them the data. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's a, that's a big one. So it's it's big it's one. it's just that mentality that um, nonprofits have a really really hard hard yeah. time with, yep. um, and they kind of get caught in this this loop. Sure. So. Yeah. 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 Well, thanks for sharing on that. Mm-hmm. How about let's go back to healthcare. Yeah. I'm curious. So you you have you you have quite a front row seat to healthcare in America. I think. But well, first of all, with VRI, and then most recently with this uh, pregnancy care center. Where do, where do you see the state of healthcare in America today? How would you assess it? It's a mess. It's an absolute mess. And why is it such a mess when we're one of the one of the wealthiest, more successful, more cutting-edge countries in the world? Why why can't we fix health? <laughs> why is healthcare a mess <laughs> in 2020 in the United States of America? Yeah, because there's no market forces. Right. There's zero market forces being played on healthcare right now. Like you can go to the dentist and you're paying it out of your pocket. Right. And so you can call the dentist if you want to and you can figure out what's the cheapest dentist in town. You can figure out what the you know, you you can go online and see what the quality is. And so you can make that decision in your mind. It was like, how much am I going to pay for the quality that I'm willing to to get, you know, for cosmetic surgeries, for Lasix, Mm -hmm. all these things that are being paid out of your pocket. The cost is let's talk about, you know. I can go to get my dog, you know, looked at from the for the vet for forty bucks, right? I can't step into a doctor's office without it being two fifty, mm-hmm. you know. And and I'm sorry, but you know, it's it's not that different. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's like, but I'm but I'm but I'm paying it out of my pocket, and so there's market forces that are associated with that, right? And so I'm on the I'm, dog, I'm on, on the, the dog, dog side, yeah, okay, on the dog side. Yep. So, um, given that there are no market forces, healthcare is. Just go crazy. And in, in addition, healthcare companies, healthcare insurance companies, actually have an incentive to increase costs, not to reduce costs. So at VRI, I was actually selling into health plans. Um, that was my number one thing. So I was selling into health plans to reduce costs for their most expensive patients. The problem we have is, is that the Affordable Care Act um, has something called the medical loss ratio which means that for every dollar you bring in, a certain percentage of it has to be spent on care, right? For every dollar you bring in a hospital? Sorry, or- for every the dollar the, the plan um, makes. So, you know, I'm, I'm a health, I'm, oh, I'm geez. a, um, so let's say I'm, I'm making up a, a health plan. I'm not using yep. this health plan for any specific reason other than it's well known. Let's just say United Health, mm-hmm. right? Biggest health plan in the country. For every a dollar that they bring in, so every dollar that me as a as the the insured mm-hmm. gives to United, mm-hmm. they have to spend eighty to eighty five percent, eighty to eighty five cents of that on my care, on or on care in general. Let's just say, so let's just say they make a hundred million dollars, which is way more than that, right? They have to spend eighty to eighty five million dollars of that on the actual care of those patients. Oh, wow. Okay. So that is mandated by our federal government. Okay. So if you think about this, the only way for them to make more money is for revenue to go up. The only way for more revenue to go up is that they charge me more. 
right? And so they're actually incentivized to increase costs. Whoa. It's crazy. That's insane. And, and in, in addition, there's this incestuous relationship between you, those insurance plans and the big hospital systems. So, you know, if you think about this, right, there's two major hospital systems in Austin. There's a third major you know, hospital system in Texas. And so really there's only like four big hospital systems and everybody wants to go to those hospital systems. And so the health plan has to pay those, those uh, hospital systems a pretty good amount of money to take care of the, the patient or else the hospital system is going to say, okay, United, we're not going to be a part of your plan, mm-hmm. right? And so there's this, you know, they're in cahoots with each other mm-hmm. to increase costs. And that's why we're screwed, right? Holy and so cow. let me give you one just qu- quick example. So I work for a nonprofit, which means that they didn't give insurance, which means I had to go on the, 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 the marketplace, the healthcare marketplace run by the federal government. So I was in a plan, um, and my daughter, Caroline, um, had a ear infections, right? So she had to get tubes put in her ears. So we go over to uh, Dell Children's, and that she's there for 45 minutes, and I know this because I'm texting back and forth with my wife. How's she doing? She just got in. She just got out. So from the time she wa- walked in to the time she got out of the hospital was 45 minutes. That procedure was $8,000 for 45 minutes. And I was on a high deductible plan, so I had to pay $8,000 for this. And the inventory required to perform that procedure or the raw materials did cost. Oh, zero? I mean, it was probably, you know, the tubes in her ears are probably... Five bucks or something. Holy I mean, it's cow. just it's, they're just little rubber tubes. So your expense was labor, yeah, labor. quote unquote labor. But like, what else was in the it? room? Yeah. Right, you, yep. you had to rent the room out. And so I'm like, well, hold on a second, right? Like I and I even asked before how much this was going to be, and they couldn't tell me how much it was going to be, right? And so I was just kind of like, okay, well, like I'm sure it's not that bad, you know. It was eight thousand dollars. The other thing that was really weird is they said it was an inpatient procedure, which means you stay in the hospital. Hmm. Right versus an outpatient procedure, which is you go to the hospital and you come home. She clearly went to the hospital and came home after 45 minutes, yet they refused to make it an outpatient procedure. It was an inpatient. And by making it an outpatient, they could charge you for the room over an overnight stay. Right. By making it an inpatient, by, right? By making it an inpatient. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah sorry. So they did that. So they did that. And so I'm $8,000 out. And, and I went and I fought it and I battled it. And no, nobody would do anything about it. And like, what am I supposed to do? If I don't pay it, guess what? The hospital comes after me, you know, and hurts my credit scores. And absolutely. And so it's a totally screwed up system. Golly. Okay. Explain. One other <clears throat> quick, interesting data point. Um, I saw data just a few weeks ago from a state um, who has about 80,000 employees in their state. And 80,000? 80,000 employees okay. for mm-hmm. the state. They are insured. Uh, by a big branded one that you would know, big insurance company. Um, and so there's this, I saw this data from a company that just does some data mining of these these things. Um, and they have, um, one of them was really interesting where it was, they had 200 people go in for an ACL tear. Okay, so, so an endoscopic repair of the ACL. Okay. The minimum they were charged was 2,500. Guess how much the maximum was? Twenty grand. Fifty-five thousand dollars. So they were charged for the exact same procedure, no changes, no differences, the exact same code between twenty-five hundred and fifty-five thousand. 
Based on what? Based upon how much the provider charged them. Wow. And so it's just, there's, so there's no market oh, forces. Oh, okay. There was different providers that were performing these different services. Yeah. One yeah, would okay. do it for 2500 okay. One was doing it for 55000 Yeah, different hospitals. Yeah. Right? Different, okay. Different hospitals. Gotcha. But the same state. Same state and same procedure. Uh, what is that? A 2,000% difference? Or I don't know. I'm, yeah. not, I'm bad at math. Somebody can do the math. But like a massive disparity. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, if I go down and get Twizzlers at Walgreens, it's going to be the same at Walgreens and CVS and HEB and whatever your grocery store is. Like, because there's market for We know exactly how much yes. it's going to cost. Mm-hmm. And that that's just not happening in healthcare. Hmm. So we need transparency. We need to know how much these things cost. Mm-hmm. And we need to figure out how to make you and I incentivized to actually shop for the services. Okay. Um, the weird thing about healthcare is it's the only industry in America that the, the cost and quality of the good, of the service are inversely related. Okay, so think about this. The higher the cost, the lower the quality in healthcare. And let me explain why that works. Let's just say you um, have you get, need to get your knee replaced, right? You can go to a guy who does, you know, five knee replacements a month, right? And, um, or you can go to a guy who does five knee replacements a day or a week, you know, like somebody who just does knee replacements. The guy who just does knee repla- replacements is going to be better at doing knee replacements mm-hmm. because he's doing it all the time. If you see something happen, if something comes up, he'd seen it a dozen times, right? And he could fix it. It'll be fast, right? And he owns his facility. He owns the anesthesiologist. That's all he does all day long. If you go to the guy who does five a month, th- that's not his gig. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he does them. He knows how to do them, but it's going to take him longer he doesn't know some of the, the things that can go awry. And so it's going to be more expensive. And so you get the cost and quality that are inversely yeah. related. In yeah. Yeah. And where else do you see that? Not very frequently. No. I'm looking for other examples and there's just not. There's hmm. not. Yeah, there's not. There's probably too much information, but um, my my brother, who's 10 years older than me, um, had a colonoscopy, and he, they found some things that they didn't like. And so, you know, all of us have got to go do it, right? And it's, uh, you know, so I call my my primary care physician. I was like, okay, who do you go and do this with? Um, and he's like, oh, this is the person that you do it with. And so I called that person, that doc, and I said, okay, how much is this going to cost? And I said, well, my fee is this, but you have to call the anesthesiologist, you have to call the lab, you have to call the thing. And so I get through this, and it's $3,400 for a colonoscopy. Um, and I'm on a plan again that I, I got to pay for some of these things. And so I was like, that's just crazy. Like, mm-hmm. what? Well, then I found this other company that will do it for $1,275. And I was like, hold on, $3,400 versus $1,275, what's the difference? And that's all they do all day long. Hmm. It's all day long. That's what they do. Right. And so you can just do it for a lower cost and you're better at it. Yes. Right. And, the, and this guy had a five star rating and the one, you know, the other guy that my primary care physician sent me to had a three and a half. So I'm assuming it's going to be better quality and you know yep. at a lower cost. Yep. So that's just a perfect example. And if, unless we can can you know infuse some market forces in healthcare, we're screwed. Hmm. And it's going to bankrupt our comp- country from my perspective. That's how you know passionately I feel about it. Wow. All right. Going back to the relationship, the incestuous relationship between providers and insurers. You touched on that, but can you clarify that? It's yeah. basically, it's incestuous because the insurers actually need the providers to charge more so that they can have their expense level be where it needs to be so that they can go get more clients and increase their revenue. Yeah. So mo- all these companies are publicly traded. 
right. which companies? The insurers? All the or? insurers are publicly traded. Okay. Um, not all of them, but most of them okay. are publicly traded. So they need more profit, right? Mm-hmm. You get more profit by either increasing revenue or reducing costs. You can't reduce costs because the government says you can't. Yeah. You have to spend this money on the patient, so you can't reduce costs. So you would think as me as a health insurance provider, if I wanted to maximize profits, right, I would figure out a way for you to be less costly. Exactly. Right? And so I, I literally had a, a chief medical officer at one of the largest health plans in the country tell me, so he's like, I don't care about diabetics. I was like, what do you mean you don't care about diabetics? He's like, yeah, diabetics don't get really costly until they get old. And once they get old, it's the government's deal. It's not my deal because they get on Medicare, right? They're not expensive until they get on Medicare. And so the commercial health insurance plans, the ones that you and I get our insurance through, don't care about diabetes or the cost of diabetes, at least, because they don't get really costly until Medicare, right? Yeah. And so the government has to pay for the really expensive stuff. And it gets, you know, diabetes gets expensive. You're starting to lose limbs and you're having you know, kidney liver failure, things like that. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they, it, it's just a, a weird, well, the, funky well, and the, and system. The, and, the, and the diabetics are good in the short term because it gets their costs up. Now they need their costs at a certain level, but it doesn't get their costs too much. It's just like they need those, some of those costs, but not too much. And then the big costs come down the road. Yeah. It's just what weird, weird line that you, that yeah. you walk in. And the government is trying to put in star, what they call star ratings, which is like, okay, how many of your, this is just one example of probably, 200 variables that the government looks at, but like how many of your diabetics actually, you know, get their you know, testing strips every month. And, you mm-hmm. know, they, they look at some of those things and they mm-hmm. will, they will rate you. Um, so the government's trying to, you know, increase the quality, mm-hmm. but it's still, you have that quality cost. Well, it's like, it's, it's, it's almost like a, it's almost like a, a micro socialistic, set up in a capitalistic society. Totally. You know what I mean? To have that, to have your cost be mandated that you need to spend 85 cents for every dollar you bring in is, it's absurd and explains a lot. And I didn't know that. I mean, it's such a big deal. I'm surprised that this hadn't been on my radar. Well, you know, the way you sell it is you say, hey, you want the insurance plans to not make too much profit. Exactly. That's how you sell it politically. But you don't think past your nose. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, I see that's what you do to, so that you can sell it, but golly, I mean, that's listen, the head, that's the headline, it, right? And everything politically in his headlines, like, hey, your health insurance plan is making too much money. Well, you want them to make money because that mm-hmm. incentivizes them to reduce costs, which incentivizes them to provide you actually better service yep. to you, diabetic or hypertensive or congestive heart failure or whatever it is, right? So that you're less expensive. Like you want them to do that. Yes. And so this is perverting that incentive structure but what's crazy about this do you think that the big thing behind this is politics and it's just the talking points of what you need to do to sell it and because it it must be that right or is it actually is it actually sort of like evil motives to use a strong term because look i'm not that smart and i'm not that educated i can if you say i'm gonna have this plan and you're gonna have to spend 85 cents for every dollar you're bringing i can tell you this is what's gonna happen this is not rocket science right i mean if you think past a little bit past your nose you can see this is going to be the end result how did we miss this i don't know and did this did this come up it's got to be politics right and did this come about you mentioned the affordable care act so is this when this was implemented i mean a a big chunk of it was yeah okay big chunk of it and that was in the Obama years, correct? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And apparently the Affordable Care Act is 
surprisingly hard to unravel? Surprisingly hard to unravel, yes. Why is it so hard to unravel? Why can't we just make a new law and change it? I mean, I think you should start fresh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, just just wipe out all this stuff and, and figure. And I, look, I think George W. Bush had a really good idea with, I, I think, and I might be wrong, health savings accounts, right? Where it's, let's put money into a savings account that you then can go and spend yes. on your health care, right? And so you become a shopper, mm-hmm. which is what we want. Um, and, but that wasn't, um, didn't get very far and they still have a health savings account today, but it should be, everybody has a health savings account from my perspective Mm -hmm. because it forces market for, for forces, market forces, right? (laughs) um, to to do that. And so I think we need to go back into that direction. You need to pay more out of your, your pocket for healthcare so that you can become a, 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 a consumer of mm-hmm. healthcare and 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 evaluate your your consumer decisions the way mm-hmm. you would for the brakes on your car, right? Right, and get the ACL for twenty five hundred bucks and get better care yeah. than spending fifty five thousand and getting less good care. Yeah, yeah, yeah. makes so sense. The, I mean, the things I'm looking at nowadays are focused on this, which is how do we bring back more market forces to healthcare? Right, it is a big issue, mm. and the politics and the big insurance companies and things like that are against you. Right. Mm-hmm. And this is what I was talking about earlier. Once you hit the, the check hits the bank account for VRI, it gives you the freedom to do stuff that may fail. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it gives you the ability yeah. to take some risks. Um, and this is one where it's like, look, this is a big, big issue, but it's one I'm passionate about, as you can probably tell. Mm-hmm. Um, and somebody needs to to be be focused on it. Mm-hmm. Um, because I think the Republicans like it, except that the insurance companies donate <laughs> you know and basically what i'm saying right. is is you need to rework insurance companies altogether mm-hmm. um and we're seeing little pieces of this interestingly in the faith-based community so i don't know if you've seen any of these but some of these cost-sharing services have you seen these cost-sharing yeah, services like, like samaritan samaritans yeah christian healthcare out, ministries yeah shout out to samaritan i'm a member um oh, yeah they basically not force you, but like now I have an incentive to go and shop for my services, even though my share is the same every single month. Mm -hmm. I know that if I'm paying too much, you will pay more, Mm -hmm. right? These are all everybody's, you know, premium quote unquote premiums will go up. Right. And so now I have a community of people that we have something in familiar, you know, familiar with Mm -hmm. or uh, in uh, both share, right? It's our faith. And that is, um, and I don't want to screw you, mm-hmm. right? I want to go get the best deal, right? Because it's best for all of us, mm-hmm. which feels a little socialistic. Right. But um, man, there's some there's some some capitalism in there too, because I was just say, because yeah, yeah. I I don't want to spend too much money on what on my share every month, yep. right? Yep. Um, and so I think they they're on to something. They're on to something. Um, so so where are you putting? So it sounds like you've got some recently again. You have some time. And you've got this experience and you've got some resources. It sounds like one of the places you intend to apply some of this knowledge and time and maybe even resources is in this area. Yeah. And is it where, what part of this area, like looking at Samaritan's Purse and helping them kind of scale more or broadening that model or, you know, maybe, maybe you can't talk too much about this because you're on the no. front end of it, but I'm just kind of curious what part of this you, would you be looking to get into or looking to improve? To, to do this, you've got to find entities that are paying for health insurance that have an incentive to reduce health insurance, health, health spend, right? And so um, 
right now the only entities that are the couple entities entities or groups that are doing that one is the uninsured right they have a bit of an incentive mm-hmm. to find the lowest cost mm-hmm. right that's a pretty small the big one is self-insured employers so mm-hmm. if you have employers who are over 500 employees more than likely they are self-insured which means they are responsible for their own healthcare costs yep right and you will have a united or blue cross blue shield or something like that who is administering that but in reality you know your company is paying for your acl right and so what there's there's some companies out there that are saying hey i'm using united's network with st david's here in town so you need to go to st david's right employer of i'm going to pick a a company in town random whole foods right Mm -hmm. um whole foods employee you have to go to st david's because that's who united has as their that network provider in in austin and you're going to pay this amount of money right which is a pretty big you know nut right um so what i'm saying what i'm thinking about is saying hey what if you build a network outside of your health plan right for colonoscopies and acl tears and you know, hip replacements and gallbladder things of people who just do that, right? And they're really good at it and it's really low cost that don't want to work with United and Blue Cross Blue Shield or whoever because the working with a health plan is really hard mm-hmm. um, and it's really costly and it takes forever to get reimbursed. And so they would prefer 70%, 70 cents on the dollar if you paid them in cash versus going to a health plan meaning mm-hmm. if a health plan the provider would, the provider yeah, would. Okay, yeah, yeah okay if a, if a health plan would pay you a hundred you would take seventy dollars in cash over that a hundred dollars from the health plan okay because there's just so much cost associated with getting it from the health plan. i see so can you build a a quote-unquote network outside of the health plans network mm-hmm. um of specialties specialty providers that can take a big chunk of the costs away from you know, the, the, the employer. Mm-hmm. So let's just say, you know, you're Whole Foods and you have an employee who needs to get a colonoscopy. You can do it through the St. David system. I'm just saying St. David's for, because that's the big one here in town in Austin. Mm-hmm. You can go through the St. David system and it'll cost you $3,400 employer, Whole Foods, or you can send them to this other provider, which will do it for 1275 bucks. And you just saved now $2,000 mm-hmm. on your colonoscopy. And you do that. 200 times over your employees or your employees' spouses and you're saving tons of money. And this other provider that they would go to to get the cheaper colonoscopy would essentially be your network or your company, correct? In theory here. Um, Okay. and More more of a network, right? Because you don't want to own all of those, I don't think. Maybe. Maybe you do. But you want to just... You want to reach out to all the... This is, you know, we're using colonoscopy, which is kind of a funny example, but yep. it's like you're looking, you're looking for all the providers of colonoscopies in Austin, right? And you're saying, how much will you do it for? Uh, I see. All yes. in, yep. right? Yep. I don't want to have to go to four different people to ask, like, how much will it cost to do a colonoscopy with you? And they'll say a thousand or twelve seventy five or fifteen hundred. And then the great thing about that is you go back to the guy who says, you know, two thousand. And you say, "Hey, I've got somebody who will do it for twelve seventy five. Mm-hmm. Will you do it for eleven hundred? And so you actually get some, you know, bidding against yes. each other. Yep. Right. And I think that's a way to to do it. It's going to take 
some time and some serious money to build those those networks. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a couple of companies out there that have kind of started building those networks, and so instead of doing that from you know from a startup, I'm probably going to raise some money to go and do that mm. and acquire invest, them. Invest in one of them, acquire or invest in, help run. Yeah. Okay. That's okay. what I'm. That's what I'm pumped about today. Yeah. Okay. Great. Well, I was just going to ask, how do those networks not already exist? But you're saying they do already exist. They're starting to. They're, yeah, there's yeah. just room for growth. Yeah. They're starting to. Yeah. I see. Yeah. yeah. Enough, enough providers are getting so annoyed with health plans that they're like, I'm just going to take cash. Like okay. if you want to come and pay me in cash, I'll do that. But I'm not doing health plans anymore. I see. And so it's, so it's, you're seeing, it's not at the tipping point. I'm not saying that, but I'm just saying that you're starting to see more of these pop up. Yeah. And that's why at a real micro level, some providers don't take health insurance, right? They don't want to screw with it. They don't that's, screw that's with why, it. right? Yeah, yeah for okay. sure. Okay. All the admin and all the everything that's it's, needed it's to pain. do health. Uh, I see. Okay. And in your scenario, does Whole Foods need to pay into your network a little bit to have the ability to send people there when they want to, or it's just, it's available and they just pay for it when they need it? Um, it's available. They pay for it when you need it, but the network takes a, a percentage of the cost savings. Cost savings or the cost? Cost savings. So let's just say okay. that, you know. There's some assumptions there that there, would be needed then. There are some assumptions okay. that will be needed. Okay. For so let's savings. just say the, the 3,400 colonoscopy he's been doing for going for 1,200, you know. Um, so you saved $2,200. Mm-hmm. The the network would take a percentage of that savings. I see. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. So that's where you intend to put some I think time so. and resources I think next. so. That's what I'm excited about right now is I want to go after a big big problem yeah this is a <laughs> that, big problem. that impacts people's lives and yep. this is one that impacts people's life it is a big problem mm-hmm. and so let's go after it and let's see if we can we can figure it out yep and it is a monumental task i mean it is <laughs> yeah for <laughs> it's sure it's a huge one i mean there's healthcare is a three trillion dollar industry in this country mm-hmm. right and so Golly. um it's 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 big which means you can create a lot of value by even taking you know if you can convert one percent over that, or two percent, yeah, to more of a cash network. I mean, that's hundreds of millions of dollars that you're creating in value. Mm-hmm. So it's take take a take a big, you know, a big industry, find a niche um, that could be if if the niche turns into something that's massive, then you you're talking about you know billions of dollars as opposed to hundreds of millions. So yes, exactly. That's kind of my approach to this. And yeah. We'll see. We'll yeah. see if we find find that it works. I like your chances, man. No thanks. Yeah. Um, how about uh, I'll call you for an investment? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's exciting, man. Shoot, I love to be involved in some way for sure. Um, I am curious what you learned at VRI that what, what did that experience instill in you that wasn't there prior? It's just such a big for one of your first deals out of the gate coming out of college, it just strikes me as such a big success. That, that probably has you believing certain things that maybe you didn't believe or know or see to be true or have, having had experience firsthand prior to that. Yeah. What are some of those things. Yeah. Um, you know, I, honestly, I, I think it, it, it made me understand, realize, appreciate that God has given us all different skills, right? And they don't, they don't tend to show up always on GPA. Hmm. You know, and I, I'm talking to some high school students who, through this pandemic, you know, they're out of school, they're, you know, working remotely, they're freaked out about college, they think that college is the, the ultimate thing, you know, GPA, which means they have to have the highest GPA. Um, you know, I, I just feel like 
you know, I'll tell you, in you know, high school, I had an okay GPA, like a three, three or three, four or something. My, my SATs were okay, you know, the 1200 or something like that. They were all right. Um, but I was never like the smart kid, right? And it was always like the chip on the shoulder, like not being the smart kid. Um, but what I, I've come to realize is that God has gifted me in different ways mm-hmm. than the quote unquote smart kids, mm-hmm. right? And so I just have come to appreciate the fact that you may not have a 4.0 GPA. You might have a 2.5 GPA, but that doesn't mean you're not smart. Let's expand that definition, mm-hmm. right? Because you may be really good at something else that doesn't require memorization. I found that all the people with the high GPAs, GPAs could just memorize. Like they just right. had a really amazing ability to memorize, right? Yep. Like, And that is such a small part of yep. what we do on a, on a day-to-day basis, right, mm-hmm. is memorize. Um you're a good conversationalist. Can you can you see that in your GPA in in high school or college? Probably not, mm-hmm. right? But God has gifted you with being conversationalist. God has gifted me with the ability of having a vision for something and getting people to follow it, mm-hmm. right? It's more of a storyteller, right? And you can't you can't calculate that in GPA. Yeah. Yeah. So Chris, who was my business partner at VRI is probably, you know, the top 10 of our class at Stanford, like wicked, wicked smart, you know, and he was the operations guy, right? Mm. Like he made sure things could happen, but he couldn't sell. Okay. (laughs) Right. And I was the one, the sales guy and I couldn't operate, right? Mm -hmm. We were just given different skill sets Mm -hmm. and praise God, because find those complimentary people in your life to go out and do things with, because you need to understand what you're not good at. Mm -hmm. Right. And so a part of me is like, it's kind of a blessing for some of these kids who don't have a 4.0 GPA because you don't go into a situation thinking that I'm right and prove ah, me wrong. Mm, I go mm. into a situation thinking I'm wrong, prove me right. Yes. Right. And and so I think that's just a blessing. You just have a different approach to solving problems that I yes. think is, um, I don't know, I think you get better outcomes. Yes, I love that. And even going to, into a, in a situation with, here's what I'm thinking, show me where I'm wrong. I mean, that's such a good way to go into a, a situation. You know, yeah. like like strong opinions held loosely, you know? Um, yeah. But this idea of the intellectual and smart, I was just listening to the CEO, I think it was the founder and CEO of Whole Foods, Mac. Mackey, John Mackey. Mackey, John Mackey. He was on Rogan. He was on Joe Rogan's recently. podcast. Yeah. And, I was here, and he was saying that... Uh, I haven't listened to the whole thing, but he was he was saying that in the capitalist societies, intellectuals tend to frown on the success of capitalists because they're not intellectual. They're not as smart. And yet in a capitalist society, they're kind of the heroes, right? You think of like the Jeff Bezos and Elon Musk of this world and like they get lots of fame and glory and their and, and money. And yet they're not as smart as like all these intellectuals and that can be held against them a lot of times from the intellectual side. And yeah. so they they would tend to be anti-capitalist society partly for that reason. Yeah. That never I mean, I would say that they are not as, you know, smart people tend to be very linear, right? Like mm-hmm. here's, here's the problem. Here's how to get the solution. Let's think linearly, right? Um, I, I, I hear Bezos and I hear Musk and I hear gates and like there's there's a a smart with a creativity that's added to it that mm-hmm. kind of gets them thinking and it's like they they don't they think about things that in ways that we don't think about yes. things you know and yes. so it's like mixing those two things together and you have something brilliant and yep. you could have somebody with a two five gpa 
make as much money as somebody with a four four GPA or whatever mm-hmm. you can get up to nowadays. I don't even know, but like, and that's the beauty of capitalism. Yes, right. And so, um, yeah, I think I think he's he's right. Yep. The intellectuals want the brains to be the number one driver of exactly. your success. Yes, and it is the number one driver of success. It's just not, may not be the right versus the left brain. Right? That's true. Right. Yeah. And so, yep. um, yeah, I, I think it's kind of an interesting, interesting yeah, thing it's that self-serving most, too. most of the socialists, the Marxists, those folks are the intellectuals. They, yeah, they are. They are the intellectuals. Yep. And they're yep. the ones that should be thinking through this and saying, hey, listen, let's look at the 40 times over the past couple hundred years where this has been tried and has failed. Right? Yes. It just doesn't work. Yep. So, um, well, it's also pretty self-serving too. It's easy to see that because like if I am the intellectual and I am the 4.0 or the 4.4 and I am the one poo-pooing on the others that aren't as smart as me and I want this society to be built around me because I'm so smart. It's like, dude, how is this not so selfish? How is this not just self-serving? Like, can't we all just see that? Yeah. You know? Um, I think Joe go- is a perfect example of this. I can- yeah. He, he's not a 4.4 four guy. <laughs> no. But, I, but I he's don't smart think, in other ways, though. But he is. But he's, he's extremely he's got, smart. He's got in curiosity. Other ways. Yes. He's got, and that's what I'm saying is like smart based upon your just ability to process data in the moment, which is mostly what your GPA is, mm. from my perspective. Um, it's just not. It's just not a very good um, determinant of how you're going to end up. Yes. Yes. I'd be and, interested. You know, when you get on Joe Rogan, ask him what his GPA is. I bet you wasn't a four four. I bet you was a middle he? of the road kind of guy. Yeah, I mean, or maybe how, he probably may not even went to. You probably didn't even go to college. I don't even think he went to college. But I think, and it's like, I think praise God, like those are the people that we want to be successful. Yeah, you exactly, know? exactly. I think he's actually a great example because I think he's extremely smart. It's just in different ways. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he's very smart, and and also he kind of plays himself dumb. I think I think he's smart by doing this too, yeah. because he's always like, uh, I'm not a political expert, you know. Learn from the experts, but then he gives his opinion, and like more people follow mm-hmm. it than the experts, you know. Yeah. Um. So I think he's extremely smart with like that that interaction level, that conversational level, that that. But it's not like the it's not like the hard science. It's not like he's a great scientist or mathematician or writer or anything like that. So or an intellectual. Um, pretty smart in different ways. I think it's a great example. Business principles going forward, you know, either conscious or subconscious. Like if you get into this kind of next bit, like what are some of those things that you just know you're going to act on? They might not be written down. They not even might not even be mm-hmm. really clarified. But like, what would you? How would you go about that? What would you believe to be true? Like you're only going to get involved with something if it can scale or. You know, you always conquer, you know, facing your challenges kind of head on. Like, what are some of those kind of, again, conscious or subconscious business or leadership principles that, that yeah. you abide by now? Yeah. And I, I mean, I think the, the question around, like, what am I going to get involved in is a really good one because it's forced me to actually, you know, write some of this stuff down. Mm. Like, okay. How do you keep being a, an Enneagram 8? You tend to jump into things quickly, like knee jerk mm-hmm. into things because you just want to go, go, go as opposed yep. to like pause and wait and, and evaluate. Um, you know, one is, you know, I'm, I'm a man of faith. I think my faith has got to play a, a role in what I do, um, at least be accepted mm-hmm. in, in wherever I, wherever I go. Um, and so that's probably the number one, number one priority. Number two, it's impactful. You know, we, mm-hmm. we have big, you know, as, as Jim Collins has big, hairy, audacious goals, mm-hmm. right? Something, something big and impactful and it's got to impact people. Like I love, you know, my brothers and sisters who are doing, you know, security software and things like that that you know that are impacting 
you know, people, but I want to, I want to directly impact okay. people, mm-hmm. right? Like, um, I think this health insurance thing is, is a direct impact on, on people. I think VRI, um, you know, is a direct impact on, on people, just some crazy stories there where you're just like, wow, like we just, we made an impact right mm-hmm. on people's lives. Like that's, that's really, really important. And I think it needs to have the ability for me to lead a team. I mean, I think mm. that God has gifted me in leading a team. Um, and so I, I really want to lead the team to, to go about doing this. So mm-hmm. I'm not a very good passive investor kind mm-hmm. of, of, of guy. I need to be involved in the organization to help them grow. So mm-hmm. those are the things that I'm, I'm looking at. Those are pretty broad, but um, mm-hmm. I, I prefer to start broad and narrow it down. Um, I think healthcare is probably where I'm going to end up, um, mm-hmm. but we'll see. Yeah. Well, you know, Nashville is a big base for healthcare. Uh, yeah, I mean, I I love I love Nashville. Nashville is actually on my my list of places to uh, to live after uh, after Cincinnati. Um, oh, okay. It wasn't it wasn't far enough south. I wanted a little bit more warmth. And, yeah. Uh, the the fishing in Texas is a little bit better than the fishing in Tennessee, although that could be debatable. I don't know anything about fishing. <laughs> <laughs> that it's sounds my, boring. It's my it's my other passion. Oh so. yeah. Where do you fish in Texas? Um, do you get down know, to the ocean? No, I, I'm a lake. I'm a lake fisherman. So, okay. Um, yeah, they're like Lake Travis great, or yeah, or, Travis and Austin and okay. You know, fortunately in in uh, in Texas and I know in Tennessee too, you've got some of these big ranches that have mm-hmm. you know quote unquote ponds that are actually you know lakes. Sure. You know, they could be dozens or hundreds of acres. You know, lakes in the yep. middle of their big ranches, and so I'm I've I've got some folks that I can go and and do that too. So yeah. that's a lot of fun. I think you made a good decision with Austin for sure. I mean, I love Nashville. It's home for us. But the weather's a little better in, in Austin, I'll be honest. Like, this is a good example. It was getting pretty chilly and rainy in Nashville. And we fly out here, and it's going to be 70 to 75 degrees and sunny all week, which yeah. I know maybe it's not always like this. But I know Austin it tends to be a little warmer than Nashville. Yeah, so. no, this is – the weather's great. And I can deal with the summers, so – yeah. Summer's a little warm, but yeah. As I've gotten older, I've grown to be able to deal with the hot summers better, and I dislike cold weather more and more every year I get older. Yeah. Um, being in the this, I'll throw you a left curve here, but yeah, being like in, in the healthcare space, what are your thoughts on COVID? What are your thoughts on what we're dealing with, how we're handling it? Yeah, man. All of the above. Uh, it's a great question because I wish we would have taken a little bit more of a war approach on this. Um. You know, I, I think that there are clearly people who are more impacted than others. You and I, if we get COVID, the probability of us dying is next to zero, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. just it's not going to happen unless you have some comorbidities that I don't know about. But, you know, most of the time we're going to survive it. Um, and so what I think we should have done is we should have locked down these nursing homes. Um, we should have put everybody in who works in those nursing homes in hotels all by themselves. Mm. Um, the to- to hotels are empty anyway. Let's put them there. Mm-hmm. Let's pay them combat combat pay, you know, because they will be living and breathing these these nursing homes for, for a long time. And the government should have subsidized that. You could do the same thing for people who have diabetes and, and other things. Like we need to lock them down and lock let them down their homes potentially. Or, or, you know, get them in hotels or get oh, them somewhere okay, else. Sure. Like where they're all together, yep. no outside influences, no bringing viruses in. My, my dad had, you know, unfortunately a stroke in March. So he um, lost the entire left side of his body, you know, the ability to move. So it's paralyzed. Um, and he's been in a nursing home since March and hasn't been able to see anybody. Mm. But you have these people coming in and out of the nursing home who are bringing COVID in. So he's had COVID in the nursing home 
his entire wing of this nursing home got it. We've had, they've had six people die so far in, in his nursing home. <laughs> and it's like, man, why are these people going out into society right. and then coming back and bringing it back into these nursing homes? Mm-hmm. Are there people, I'm not sure there are, but let's, let's ask, are there people who are willing to treat this like war? Like we are at war with this thing. And so therefore you will be in you know, the United States equivalent of a military base in Afghanistan and you will be quarantined and you'll be taking care of these people and you'll make a ton of money doing it and you'll be doing an amazing good deed for these these people. I think there are enough people, especially with all the craziness with jobs and things like that, who are willing to do that, um, that you can make that work, mm-hmm. you know, and the, and the government could have subsidized it, I think, as, w- as opposed and then let everybody else go do their thing. Right. Uh, okay. And and don't close down the economy. Don't shut down the restaurants. Don't shut. You know, it's and and I think that's probably the best way of of doing it. Yeah. Right? I so, think the hospitals could have handled it. You know, Sweden. You know, I know they're reversing some things already, but Sweden is doing it, and they their their death rate is is no worse than Texas. Um. And so Sweden is doing what? Sweden is basically has an open economy, right? Never shut oh, down. Right, exactly. And I yep. think in the last couple of weeks with this second wave, they've started to, to do some masks and social distancing and stuff like that. But mm-hmm. um, why not just open the economy and let people do what they need to do? Mm-hmm. And then if you need to be quarantined, quarantine yourself. Like, mm-hmm. Don't. I, it's easier said than done, clearly. But I think that the rest of us should go and, and continue on with our, our, our daily lives. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's if there was a bit more of a coordinated quarantine, laser focused quarantine effort, I think we could have done better. Mm-hmm. So better with quarantining people with vulnerability to COVID, pre-existing conditions, elderly, nursing homes, diabetes, those types of things. Yeah. Better with quarantining them and having them be in a bubble along with their care providers yes. for what, all summer, a couple of months, a couple of weeks, I mean, just I, as long as it's needed? As long as it's needed. As long as it's needed. Okay, so you have that, which is like a more kind of strict, more quarantine, just a, a more definitive lockdown for the susceptible, but then also a more kind of free and open market for the healthy, yeah. the younger and I mean, the ones less vulnerable. Yeah, I'm by far an expert on this, but it yep. seems to me like we could have had a more coordinated effort on mm-hmm. the vulnerable. Mm-hmm keeping them away. Yeah, I don't disagree. And let the rest of us continue on. Because, I mean, I think as we're seeing, and, I, and, and it's hard to tell what's fake news and what's real, but depression, anxiety, suicides, all these things are skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. I mean, we just saw Tony Shea, who, you know, CEO of Zappos. I don't know if you've seen this, but, um, you know, he basically he sold Zappos to, to, to Amazon for $1.2 billion. He was CEO until August. And he has spiraled, spiraled out of control since then because he was in this pandemic, you know, lockdown place. He got into drugs and it ended up, he died in a, in a house fire um, that looks like he said it. Um, and so, you know, it's just, th- this is Tony Shea, who's, you know, widely known by the business community as one of the most innovative thinkers in the, on the planet. And, and he, you know, got taken down by this, at least partially, right? It's like, there's so much collateral damage as a result of, keeping these people in in homes oh my gosh when was that house fire like two weeks no three two or three weeks ago tony tony shea Shea? tony shea do you know tony shea well i don't know him personally but of course i know who you mean yeah yeah he he died there you go two two weeks ago or maybe it was last week but the house fire was two weeks ago 
died on Friday. The cause was injury suffered in a house fire on November 18th in New London, Connecticut, according to Megan. Wow. He stepped down as chief, chief executive in August after 21 years with the company after selling shoes online in 99. I mean, I always thought Shay and Zappos was such a great story. I did not know he died. And yeah, you're saying it looks look like up, he look set up, the fire. Look up sh- the, the same Shay and then say, um, you know, just house fire and see what comes up on, on Google because I know the most recent articles are detailing that house fire and his um, association with with drugs. New details emerge. Tony Shea, he, he died later after sustaining injuries. The cause of the fire is still an investigation, though a coroner said Shea's death was accidental. In a statement to Forbes, Shea's father... We are so deeply grateful for the outpouring of love. He retired at Zappos in August. Maybe look up uh, Shay and drugs. When did he get into the drugs? Was it after he had I, sold? I mean, it, it was. It's hard to tell. Um, but I, if it, it feels like you know within the last year, hmm. it was a combination of selling his company and then COVID and everything. A, a spiral of alcohol, yeah, drugs, on and that, the Wall Street Journal. There. I mean, it's crazy. About two weeks before Zappos.com, co-founder Tony Shea died from injuries in a November fire. His closest friends got a phone call. Tony's in trouble. The caller told Philip, the founder of Electronic Dance Music Group, that frequently performed at Shea's parties. Because of the pandemic, Mr. Placina hadn't seen Mr. Shea since he... Well, the tech executive. Yeah, he says... Yeah. Um, the caller described it as the escapist tendency, including increasing drug and alcohol use. Oh, man. I mean, you know, it's but like, your point this stands. Is, this is happening all over the place. Is, yeah, it's happening all over the place. Yeah. So, man, but how do you do the calculus of that? Mm-hmm. You know, all these people who are dying from, you know, suicides or not, maybe not even dying, but having anxiety and depression and all these things. Right. All these kids who are not who aren't in schools, right? Yep. Who aren't able to do what these kids should be doing in in schools. I mean, I yep. saw something from Fairfax County, which is a pretty well um, to do county right outside of Washington D.C. The number of F's in classes has increased by 80%. Golly. And so these kids I'm are shocked imp- that at impacting. All. Yeah. And so what could have we have done differently to, yep. you know, get, get the folks who are really high risk yep. <laughs> it bubbled, you know, and that's stinks. Safe, like yeah. that, that's awful. And instead of, you know, the trillion and now probably another trillion on top of it, mm-hmm. um, could we have used that money to be a little bit more laser focused on the w- ones who needed it. Mm-hmm. Do you have right. any ideas why it's affecting even some healthy people more than others? I mean, I have friends that um, had all, I mean, I have a friend that had almost every disease or every kind of issue on the planet and, and she, she got it and it was no problem at all. And then I have another friend who's uh, um, a little older than I, but very good shape and he got it and almost died. Yeah. Like, I don't any know, idea man. why it's having such I think a different effect? I think it's got to be some something with. I mean, clearly, it's it's human biology, or it's the strains of the mm-hmm. of the of the virus. You know, you got to think some of these strains are are not as impactful as others. If that's even right. the case, I mean, I think there's yep. still theories about that. And mm-hmm. then there's something about, you know, I thought I was I was totally screwed because originally they was doing a uh, they did a study in I think it was Germany that said if you are bald, you have four times more likelihood of dying from no COVID way. than if you weren't. And they thought it was because of the testosterone, um, huh? Or and maybe it's not the testosterone, but whatever the one of the the male hormones is that that leads to to hair loss, also is a the fuel for this this virus. 
Oh, wow. And I don't know if they got debunked or not, but okay. um, it was like one of those things it's like, we've got all of these theories that I don't think anybody's really figured out yet yeah. until, and probably may never figure out if we get this vaccine to, to, to come and people start taking it and this, yeah. this virus, oh, please God, disappears. Right? Yeah, for sure. What's well, time it goes. Uh, we just heard on the Uber ride here yesterday that uh, South by is canceled again in 2021. Oh, really? That's a shame. So, I mean, it was canceled in 2020 and 2021. I mean, my gosh. I mean, this thing's been going on for a while now, you know? I mean, it's like, man, we need to see an end in sight. Do you, are you optimistic about the vaccines, or do you have concerns there? I don't I don't have any vaccine concerns. I like, okay. shoot me up, well, I'll yep. do it. I yep. mean, I prefer to do that than, you know, having to worry about wearing masks all the time. Yeah. Or not going to restaurants or, or whatever. It yeah. Be. How do you feel uh, Texas and Austin has been handling it? Decently, or? <laughs> well, I don't know if you saw, but our mayor, this one was interesting. Our mayor... Uh, Put a video out from Cabo San Lucas did see telling that. everybody in Austin <laughs> that they shouldn't be traveling. I did see that. <laughs> Isn't that just the dumbest thing? I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. But that's, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, it's Austin. Um, we're full of hypocrisies here. So, um, yeah, I think, I think it's doing okay. I mean, I think Texas is is one that it's it's Texas, right? And everybody, what is the stereotype of Texas? Is we do whatever the hell we want to do, exactly, right? And so, given we do whatever the hell we want to do, which means goes and have has a good time. But I will tell you that um, while it's the number one in the country for the number of, of virus um, infections, I think it's way down there in terms of deaths. I mean, it's oh, Texas is number I, one I, in the I mean, country in terms of infections. Yeah, but I oh, think wow. deaths is is I don't, I don't quote me, but it's like tenth or something like that in terms uh, of yeah, deaths. I'm not shocked to hear that at all. So I think a lot of people are getting it, but I don't think you know. The, the, the ones, the politicians that have gotten themselves into trouble over this COVID. Okay, the mayor of Austin, um, Democrat. The governor of California, Gavin Newsom. Gavin Newsom, yeah. You know, recently at this party with... French Laundry. Sit, yeah, sitting around the table with no mask on. And, you know, he's saying that you shouldn't do this. And then he goes and does it. Um, I'm thinking of Pelosi. In ca- he was in California, the haircut. Why is it the left that keeps stepping in it? Is it because they're the ones that are a little bit more vocal about what you shouldn't be doing and lockdowns and staying away from people and massing everyone to begin with? And then they, and then just by nature of them being more outspoken, they're going about their lives and they're making some missteps? Or like, why Why does it seem to be that it is the, the left? I wish I was smarter on this, man. I, I really do because I don't understand why you have to say one thing and do another thing. Right. I mean, we're... we're, I mean, we're, we're hypocritical by just being in a Genesis three world. But, um, this one is like, use your brains, you know, that you can't say one thing and do another when you are, have a million Twitter followers or you're on the nightly news every night. Like you just can't do it. Yep. Right. Yep. Um, but you know, I, I, I don't understand it. Yeah. I wish I, I wish I had a better theory on this, but I'm, I try to stay out of politics for a reason because I, it it drives me crazy. Yeah. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I don't disagree. What else you want to talk about, Andy? Did we cover everything here? Man, I think we got some some good stuff. How much time do we have? Do we have enough? Um, we have. I mean, I've got a few more minutes. I, I think I covered most. I did want to hear about um, some of your investments. Did you have success mm. there? You mentioned doing some some investments in other ventures. Yeah. Is that something where is that a can it really work if you get just the right deal with just the right people or did you find any kind of success there? Yeah, a little bit, a little bit. Um, you know, I think that this is one of the places where a capitalistic society doesn't work very well, especially for the low income. Um, you know, I get access to the best deals because I put together a really good deal. <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I really had a really good deal. And mm-hmm. so people will come to me and folks like me um, for their next investment. And so inevitably, the ones at the top 
get access to the best deals, which increases, you know, their ability to generate wealth. Mm. And so that is Mm. one of the parts of the capitalistic society that just doesn't work well for, you know, the guy who's making 15 bucks an hour at McDonald's doesn't get access to the deals. And actually the government says you can't have access to those deals because you've got to be worth a certain amount of money. Mm. So to make it, you know, I don't know exactly what the numbers are, but to invest in a private equity, a venture capital growth equity deal, you've got to be a, um, worth a certain amount of money. Mm-hmm. You're talking about like an accredited an, investor? An accredited investor. Okay, yeah. Like, so the $15 guy can't yeah. be an accredited investor, and right. therefore he doesn't have access to the same deals that I have. Yes. Right? One yep. by just legislation, regulation, and two is he just doesn't have access. And so there's, you know, those. that's one part of the capitalistic, capitalistic society that I feel like, yeah, you know, I mean, I the ones who have the wealth are going to be able to grow their wealth faster, and therefore mm-hmm. you're going to have the disparity between rich and poor. Yep. Um, and in fact, I'm one where I could look, I, I'm okay if you tax me more. I just would prefer to use the tax money in an effective way, mm. right? And so when I see, you know, I saw last year that the Navy filled up one of its Navy ships with this you know, green energy fuel or something like that. And it costs $40 million. Whereas the normal tank tank up would have been $3 million. I'm like, dude, you're spending 37 and maybe the, the numbers may be a little off, but it was tens of millions of dollars more for a statement to right? do this Why for a statement a statement. And I'm like, that to me is a stupid way of, of using money, yeah, it's you know? Absurd. And so don't tax me more. Don't take more of my money, to do stupid stuff with, yep. with, with this money. So you see how inefficient the government is. Mm-hmm. Um, well, that's not going to change anytime soon. And it's not, so, and it's yeah. not right. Yeah. And so it's, it almost feels like the United States needs to bottom out before, mm-hmm. you know, before somebody actually does something. And unfortunately there's no fortitude to, to do it within either party to do something differently. Have you seen the documentary planet of the humans no, I haven't. on Netflix? Mm-mm. I'm sorry. It's on YouTube. It's free on YouTube. Just check it out. It's good. It talks about how that renewable energy is not so renewable after all. Yeah. Yeah, all the solar and wind stuff. I mean, that stuff That stuff lasts for about 10, 20 years tops, and you have to rebuild it all over again. And to build it, it takes fossil fuels and, um, I mean, other things in the earth that are precious resources, basically. Yeah. It's really not as sustainable as And I don't, as, I don't as have thought. a super, you know, hard line on uh, renewables or global warming or, or things like that. I feel like if you fall on kind of the right side of the spectrum, you're supposed to say global warming is, is not as bad and it is, it is human induced and things like that. And I don't have a super strong line on it. I'm just saying what I would say is let's let the innovators go innovate. Yeah. Right. You know, if I were the president of the United States, I would say, Hey, I'm going to put up a trillion dollars. If somebody can figure out a way to get the carbon out of the atmosphere, Right. I'll give you a trillion dollars or whatever mm-hmm. the number is, right? Like big enough so that some really smart people can go after it. And if Elon Musk, for God's sakes, can figure out how to get us to Mars, which it looks like he might be able to do, somebody should be able to figure out how to suck this stuff out of the, the atmosphere or do something, right? And, and there was a, I don't know, a, a, the CTO of, of Microsoft when it first started that came out and said, this is, it's people are should, could be able to do it. There's yep. a way chemically to get the carbon out of the atmosphere. And so I was like, instead of us, nobody's going to stop eating steak, which is, you know, the number one, you know, cows, you know, doing their thing is the number one source, right? Nobody's going to stop driving cars. Nobody's going to, you know, and why are we penalizing mostly the poor by transitioning to this really expensive energy source? Yep. 
as opposed to doing something inexpensive like yeah. coal and nuclear and things like that, right? Or screwing up our waterways because we want to dam all these rivers to cre- create hydro, yeah. right? It's like, why don't we just say, hey, innovators, go innovate. Elon Musk just did it with NASA, right? It's some crazy number where NASA was going to be like, I don't know what it was, $20 billion or something like that to, to build a, a no, maybe it was more than that, but whatever it was, it was like a huge number to get somebody to the space station without the shuttle, right? So to build a new shuttle. And Elon Musk did it for like one-tenth of that. Yes. Well, isn't, right? that, isn't that an example of capitalism working? Yeah, just you let, know? Let's let the, ca- let's have let the innovators yeah. go and do it. Yeah, right? yeah. I'm not an expert on global warming at all. I mean, it seems to stand to reason that, hey, we weren't here always and we're not going to be here forever. And if the Earth is warming up year over year, I'm not shocked by that. Whether we're contributing much to that or not, I don't really know. And it seems to me like if I'm with you, if if the issue truly is as big and as bad as some are saying that it is, I kind of feel like there'd be people trying to fix it a little bit quicker than we are. Yeah, but there's I, no incentive to. There's no financial incentive to fix it right well, now. Well, but but is there? But there's not. But also, there would be if we were clear that the problem is as bad as some say that it is. Yeah. I, I think, think that's a, where the issue I lies. I think there's enough people out, out there that think that the problem is as bad as we say it is. And so why, why, why don't the Elon Musks of the world or you know creative thinkers like that, why aren't they going after this? Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe because if you take all the carbon out of the air, all the trees and plants die. Well, I guess. I mean, <laughs> I mean yeah. this. I mean, look. I mean, if you look back in L.A. in the '80s, it's a lot better now than it was back then. It's not like everything is heading in the wrong direction, yeah. you know. But again, I digress because I'm not an expert here. I'm not either. I think it's one of these where I do feel like we've jumped to a conclusion without doing the scientific experimentation that we would do, do on every other yeah. thing that we have come to conclusions on. Yeah. It's like, okay, let's do a scientific experiment to figure out is this actually the case amongst the hundred other variables or a thousand other variables that could be increasing, yep. you know, the, the, the heat, because I yep. think it, that's, that's undeniable that it's getting a little bit hotter. I think I'm, I'm, yep. I'm, I don't, I'm not an expert, but it sounds like it's, you're getting hotter. There's a hockey stick in, in carbon in the atmosphere. Yep. Are those causal, right? Are those correlated or are they not? Let's mm-hmm. do some experimentation to figure it out because there was that much carbon in the atmosphere. I don't know, a dozen times in the past, you know, mm-hmm. over the last whatever millions of years mm-hmm. and was there a correlated increase in, in temperature sometimes there was and sometimes there wasn't so mm-hmm. it seems to me that it may not be perfectly correlated yeah but let's not screw up our planet yep right yep. i'm full agreement with that for sure i consider myself a conservationist like i would like to figure out a way to clean up our oceans to stop overfishing to yeah. stop you know hunting whales to stop doing some of those things like i, I you know I, full I, agreement i have a problem with people going you know uh and and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I have a moral problem with it. Just a gut problem with going over and, you know, killing animals just to kill animals for sport. Like I just, mm-hmm. I just, and as a Texan, it's hard for me to say that. But it's mm-hmm. like, man, I just, I just don't get it. Mm-hmm. You know, you yeah. go. Have you ever been to Africa? I haven't, dude. It is one of those coolest experiences. I've heard multiple times that it is. And you yeah. see these lions, right? Prides of lions of twenty, right? Just roaming around the plains as if you know that is their kingdom and to think of you know somebody coming in and taking out you know one of the the dads right yeah and you take out a dad and guess what all the cubs die because the new lion comes in and kills all the the cubs Mm -hmm. it's like i just don't i just don't yeah why can't we find something else to do for sport but you realize you have more lions in captivity in texas than exist in the the rest of the world combined tigers too i heard really yeah (laughs) 
that's, that's Texas that's, for that's you. That's Texas for you. Yeah. So what's the rest of your like look like? This is Monday morning. You don't have a day job, so to speak, right now. Will you put more time and attention into kind of the next thing that uh, that you're thinking about, or will you manage some investments, or what's your what's your week look like? Yeah, my my biggest investments that I'm managing are my kids. Okay, um, <laughs> you know, so I'm spending lots more time being dad okay, to, to a two, two and a four year old girls who you know, um, I just think there's tons of value to having dad in their life full time right now. Yeah, when I can be. So you know, with the pandemic, it's not like I can go and work anywhere so i'm usually working at home when they're Mm -hmm. sleeping and when they're not sleeping doing doing dad stuff Mm -hmm. so um you know that's been a lot of fun um i'm not sure how long i can do do it for because i think i've colored the same santa claus you know color coloring page you know a hundred times um (laughs) but um it's it's been fun and yeah. I'm, I'm looking for investments um and i think i'm just you know to me this stage of life is just kind of waiting on god mm. you know mm. as an eight i feel like my sin has been i'm do let me go do something whereas it's as opposed to that saying hey god you know you you come and do something through yeah. me mm-hmm. right use me in whatever way you want to use me while i'm on this planet mm-hmm. right and that for me has been a bit of a transition in in thinking yeah um you know kind of back to the selfish conversation that we had earlier like it's 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 a normal thing not a normal but it's a genesis 3 thing where we focus on self and what mm-hmm. what value do we have as opposed to or what value do we provide as opposed to what is god doing through us yep. right and it's just a different way of of kind of looking at the world yeah. right what i'm so i'm just trying to be pause and wait and um have some faith and hope that uh, whatever's next will become very apparent. Yeah. So yeah, I think it will. Well, I really appreciate our conversation, man. Thank you so much for yeah. your time. This was a privilege to meet you and get to know you a little bit and hear about some of your past experiences and where you might be headed going to the future. Yeah, thanks. Yeah, hopefully, we're in your corner, man. I hopefully, hope the audience well finds some you. of this valuable. I'm not I'm, sure if they will, I'm but sure I'm, that, I'm <laughs> sure that they will. Um, and on that note, any final thoughts for the listeners or? Anything you'd like to say and as we go? Yeah, I mean, I, I think my, my thing that I'm, I'm really focused on right now is um, I'm seeing so many people in pain and hurt, especially during this pandemic, for a variety of, of, of reasons. Um, you know, especially some of these kids, you know, mm-hmm. who, are, who are really questioning where they fit in this, in this world. Um, and all I would say is, you know, r- wait on the Lord. Mm-hmm. Re- rely on the Lord to show you. Um, and if, you know, your GPA isn't 4.0, it's okay. I'm, I'm a perfect, you know, testament to the fact that, you know, great GPAs don't turn into great success stories. Mm-hmm. Find something that you love to do and pour your heart into it. Mm-hmm. Um, so that would be my, my kind of closing remark. Yeah. Love it. Andy Schooner. Thanks for being on the podcast. Thanks, brother. brother. Appreciate, Appreciate it. it.